bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet Radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-889. Three six seven five. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is common sense. emergency strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is, run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan, to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense, and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, 
and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290 or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Be prepared. All right. Welcome back to another exciting adventure here. You're listening to Southern Sense Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, iHeartRadio. Ah, oh, the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the most just the radio chickadee, along with my oh-so-frustrating <laughs> sidekick and co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett, who doesn't know how to turn his headset on and off. Yeah, don't what can I say? Curtis, I said, don't tell anyone that. <laughs> I'm going to say it. Yeah. Well, I had a call in last week because um, you couldn't hear me, and that's because um, today I discovered before the show that I had had it in the mute uh, mode. So, <laughs> hey, what can I say? It's Friday. He turned the <laughs> mic off on his headset. <laughs> I mean, oh, man, I had to have some fun. <laughs> It could be worse. I mean, look at us now. We're living in a twilight zone, <clears throat> all of America. Uh, it, it's getting crazy out there. It really is. And I got to tell you, I was at physical therapy the other day, and I had to wear the damn mask. Now, you think about this. You're exerting yourself. You're doing a physical exercise. You're going to start breathing harder. I could not do it with the damn mask on. I don't care what they say. But I was not getting enough oxygen in, and it was really hard for me to breathe. And ever since then, I've had a little bit of a cough. So I'm wondering (laughs) if it's a residual from having to wear that damn mask three days in a row while doing physical exercise. It decreases your oxygen intake. Yeah. I I actually am out of breath. Yeah. So I don't know. But, uh, but right you know, now, my county, my county here, not the state of South Carolina, but my county, has uh-huh. mandatory statewide masks. Any public building, any building the public has access to, uh, it's just crazy. It's it's it should not be mandatory. That's very simple. well. I'm starting to see a lot of people um, resist this now. I'm seeing more and more people, you know, not wearing a mask and. It's not anything against those who wear it because the way we look at it, <clears throat> that's your right to do that. So don't impede on my my right not to. There's nothing in the Constitution that gives, you know, the state that kind of power over us. <clears throat> and some of us are finally waking up to that. So I don't I don't think it's going to go any farther than the election day because, like I said, after Trump gets reelected. It'll be useless to the left, so they want to drop it and come up with something else. Oh, yeah. There will always be something else to come up with, like another impeachment hearing. But, you know, there's a <laughs> migration, massive migration of people leaving blue states, coming to red states that are more liberal. I don't mean liberal as in being a progressive. I mean more it's classical liberalism is basically what it is. Let's get down to the fact. It is basic classic liberalism, and they're finding that these blue states compared to red states are far more prohibitive of your rights, of your freedoms and your liberties, 
and they want to impose their will on what you say, what you do. When it is to the point where how dare you turn around and say, I don't agree with Black Lives Matter. You are now charged with a hate crime. That is how bad it's gotten. A woman in California was charged with a hate crime because she didn't agree with the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, oh, if they, anyone would they, look at the Black Lives, yeah, if anyone looks at the website for Black Lives Matter, they would be running for the hills. It is a Marxist, openly, openly Marxist organization that wants to destroy yes. anything that we stand for as Americans. It is, and um, I tell you this much: um, people are waking up now. I don't have problems with people from the blue states moving down to the red states, long as they do not vote the same way they did up there, because that doesn't change anything other than their location. If they're still going to vote for the same people with the same policies, it's not really an improvement, you know, for the country. So hopefully they are waking up philosophically and realizing they need to vote for the other party. Well, unfortunately, uh, that doesn't always happen that way. And we have a saying here in South Carolina, we don't give a damn how you did it up north. And that's the attitude that you're going to be moving into because you turn around and try to impose your progressive Marxist socialistic policies down here, you're going to find a huge kickback. Matter of fact, um, I had a friend of mine call me the other day while I was at therapy um, looking for someone to run against the uh, city mayor, which is just on the other side of the bridge, so I'm not within the city limits, uh, looking for someone to challenge him because he, along with the rest of these progressives, have come up with nutty policies. I mean, really crazy nutty policies because of this virus. You know, the man has lost his mind. So they are actively out there <laughs> looking for someone to run against them. So, I mean, the world has to wake up. The, really, the world does have to wake up. Meanwhile, I want to wa- <coughs> excuse me, welcome everyone that is listening in the chat room on Blog Talk Radio and that are starting to join me over here on uh, Facebook Live. So um, check it out over there. Mm, man, all right. Anyway, oh, what announcement I want to make because this Weekend was supposed to be the rally in New Hampshire, the Trump rally in New Hampshire. And as of this morning, I got this message from the Trump campaign headquarters that because of Tropical Storm Faye, the rally scheduled for tomorrow, Saturday, in Portsmouth, um, New Hampshire, has been postponed for safety reasons. It will be rescheduled and a new date will be announced soon. This is from Tim Murtaugh, Trump's 2020 communications director. So if anyone was looking forward to the rally in New Hampshire uh, tomorrow, it has been postponed. Tropical Storm Faye is hitting the uh, eastern seaboard, the New England area, starting as we speak now. So if you're in that area, please hunker down and be safe. That's my one announcement. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Well, what do you think about what's going on with the Supreme Court? You know, these, these so-called conservative justices seemingly always siding with the um, those on the left. I mean, they've, they've been coming out with some really strange rulings, some very good, some I'm just scratching my head over. Uh, but we have, towards the end of the show, from the Heritage Foundation, Zach Smith, 
and he's a legal fellow in the Meese Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. We're going to be discussing that with him. Also, we're going to bring it up with your friend Timothy Dave, uh, these issues also. But anyway, um, as we, we do not have a RNC uh, spokesperson today, Curtis, so we're just going to do some fillers. Uh, I don't know what happened with Gabriella, but uh, something must have come up because uh, she has not sent me anyone, which is very, very unusual. Anyway, um, mm. those that listen to our show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to police officer Nick O'Rear of Kimberly Police Department out of Alabama. His end of watch was Wednesday, February 5th of this year. And the dedication starts off with Kimberly Police Officer Rick Nick O'Rear was fatally shot Tuesday night, February 4th, during a pursuit on Interstate 65 South, according to authorities. O'Rear, 33, was a father of two with a third child on the way, had been a Kimberly police officer for less than a year. Everybody loved him, Kimberly Mayor Bob Ellerbach said. He was a tremendous asset to our community. O'Rear was pronounced dead at UAB Hospital at 1.15 a.m. Wednesday morning, February 5th. His death marks the first time a Kimberly police officer has ever been killed in the line of duty. You have taken a life away for no reason, the mayor said. It is senseless. It is sad. The death of the Kimberly officer is the first law enforcement officer in the line of duty in Alabama in 2020. Statewide, six police officers were shot to death in the line of duty in 2019. A Monroe County deputy also died in 2019 when he lost control of his patrol car and hit a tree. O'Rear began his law enforcement career at the Asheville Police Department before joining Kimberly roughly a year ago. He had recently trained to be a canine handler and was partnered with Stella, a drug-sniffing dog. He was a very good person, a very good officer, said Warrior Police Chief Ray Horn. In fact, we tried to hire him away from Kimberly. That goes on a lot here. We all work really close together. It was one of Horn's officers who initially tried to pull over the suspect, which launched the pursuit. O'Rear quickly responded to help. He was always the first one to jump up on the interstate to help, Horn said. Asked about the welfare of his own officer after the Tuesday night ordeal, Horn said, He's having a hard time with it. He was very close to losing his life also. Governor Kay Ivey has spoken with the officer's parents, her office said Wednesday morning. I am profoundly grieved to hear the passing of the Kimberly police officer who was shot in the line of duty last night. The safety of our citizens and the rule of law is forefront in the minds of our officers who willingly risk their lives on behalf of others. His sacrifice will never be forgotten, Ivy said. Four people were taken into custody after the shooting. Only one of the four, Preston Johnson, 37, has been charged in O'Rear's death. Johnson faces capital murder charges because the victim was a law enforcement officer and because the shots were allegedly fired from inside a vehicle 
and into another vehicle to Johnson County District Attorney Danny Carr. Johnson also faces the charge of attempted murder of a warrior police officer and firing a gun into that officer's vehicle. The other three detained are not likely to be charged, authorities said, because they picked up Johnson after he wrecked the car police said was used during O'Rear's shooting. The handcuffs used to arrest Johnson belong to Walker County Sheriff Sergeant Kevin Ember. On Wednesday, Emberg asked Walker County Sheriff Nick Smith to officially retire those handcuffs. His request was accompanied by a photo of the handcuffs with the suspect's name and the officer's official date of death handwritten on them. A young police officer gunned down in the line of duty was mourned by family, friends, and fellow officers on a gloomy and rainy Monday in Alabama. Kimberly Police Officer Nick O'Rear was helping a neighboring community with a car chase on February 4th when he was ambushed and shot, said Kimberly Mayor Bob Ellerbach. A suspect was taken into custody. O'Rear was one of the most unique individuals you'd ever meet, and his mischievous sense of humor and love for his fellow man was unmatched. Kimberly Fire Rescue Captain Robert Mashbourne said at the funeral in Gardendale, Alabama. O'Rear came to Kimberly in 2019 and jumped in with both feet and became part of the family from day one, Mashbourne said. Nick always made himself available to not only the city of Kimberly, but to all surrounding municipalities, he said. O'Rear wanted to become a certified sniper, which he accomplished in November, Mashbourne said. He also inspired to becoming a canine training officer, which he certified in December. With Stella, his canine, it was love at first sight, and Nick worked tirelessly with training her. There's someone who brings a light so great to the world that even after they have gone, the light remains, Mashwan added. O'Rear dedicated his life to the service of others. I owe it to him to be worthy of his sacrifice. Alabama governor tweeted, On this somber day, we remember the life of Kimberly Police Officer Nick O'Rear. We will lift his loved ones, comrades, and the city of Kimberly in prayer as Officer O'Rear is laid to rest. O'Rear graduated from St. Clair County High School in 2006. He was also a graduate of the Alabama Fire College, Tuscaloosa, and a graduate of the UAB EMT School. He worked as a firefighter for the cities of Margaret and Branchville before beginning his career in law enforcement, according to his obituary. He served as a police officer for Asheville, Alabama, Tulfreford, Alabama, before he arrived at the Kimberly Police Department. O'Rear was remembered as hardworking. He was also a ham radio operator and also owned and operated Southern Lawn Care and Extreme Pressure Washing, LLC. I've stood by family and friends during the time of loss, but this one is different, said Dwayne Torpo, speaking from the lectern. Torpo, the music minister at the church on the bluff in Hoover, is also the father of Rear's pregnant girlfriend. Rear served and was ordained a minister too, who had married his sister and brother-in-law. We should not be here today. This should not have happened. 
this type of thing happened somewhere else to someone else, not to us, but it did. Today's show is dedicated to police officer Nick O'Rear. It's also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement officers, firefighters, emergency services. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve in our military, from the birth of this nation through today and into its great future. May God bless each and every one. We dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herndon, My Name is America.
All right, and we're back. You're here listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Facebook, iHeartRadio, all the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, you know what I'm going to say, southern-sense.com. Of course, I'm your hostess with the most, the Radio Chickadee, along with my clever co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. And as for the name of the show, that is name of the song, which is by Todd Allen Herndon, is My Name is America. And you can catch that and download it from his website, which is toddallenshow.com. And I keep on meaning to call that poor man, and I keep on forgetting to. Curtis, you better send me a memo. (laughs) Hey, dummy, did you call Todd yet? (laughs) I saw we we had Bobby in the studio, and he dropped off. So if he's listening in, Bobby, call back, because we'll take you on early. That's no big deal. We'll be happy to do that. So um, anyway, Curtis, you know, uh, I want to mention, because I do the commercial for uh, My Patriot Food. I do buy it. I do use the stuff. It's good. Um, I've tried other brands, and they're higher in sodium than this because of my high blood pressure and heart condition. I've got to be careful about, Mm -hmm. you know, how much sodium I intake. And uh, this I am happy to say that I am able to eat without having any problems whatsoever. So um, my Patriot Food, if you do have uh, anything with blood pressure or something like that, they are the healthiest one out there. As a matter of fact, my husband put the box of the uh, food in the garage on top of the refrigerator in the garage. And as he was moving stuff around, this white powder started to come through the box. And I'm like, what the heck is this? I don't know if it was a squirrel or a mouse or what, but something got into it and ate three packages of the food. Oh, <laughs> man. They liked it too, huh? <laughs> yes. I had to oh, you know, take everything that wasn't uh, everything that wasn't ruined by uh, the animal and put it now into a more uh, secure container. And uh, right now it's sealed so no animals can get into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. But we do have a caller. Uh, oh. Is that 843 phone number? Is Bobby? Yep. All right. Well, let's bring up. Okay. That's strange because that's that's a South Carolina number. Is this our buddy, Bobby Lawrence? No, it's not. Oh, it's not yeah, I didn't think so. No. All right. Who's the South Carolina caller we have here? Who am I speaking to? Uh, my name is Zachary. Uh, I'm listening to your show. Uh, you're bringing up a lot of good topics. But I think you missed the biggest one. Uh, the title of the show, if I'm not, you know, wrong, is has there been a, a line drawn for a new American Civil War? Is that correct or not? No, rev- no, it's not correct. It's a new American Revolution. And the line that I'm, I will be talking about is the line at the voting booth. You know, it's going to be a fight for this presidential election. I don't mean a, a physical fist fight. I'm talking about a new type of revolution, a revolution at the ballot box. So, so I'm guessing, I'm guessing you're more to the left. No, you couldn't get anyone more to the right than me. There's not a single progressive oh, oh, vote in my body. I would, I would dare disagree. I'm an open fascist. Uh, I've been in the military. I went to Afghanistan two times. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an open fascist. I think that what you're doing is poisonous. Uh, you're, you're telling people to, you know, listen to you and vote for right-wing politicians. I mean, when it comes to social issues, I agree. You know, look, the Republicans have it right. 
But you're dangerous. You're poisonous. You're poisonous. How is that? The conservative- how is that so? If I ask people to vote for who aligns with their politics to do it peacefully, how is that fascist? Because fascists are the ones that don't want government yeah, to control fa- businesses and everything I'm else. Fascists. Is, have you I'm studied Nazi Germany? Have yes, you studied honestly it. Nazi Germany? Uh, yeah, I love it. Then I. I love it. And unfortunately, then we can't help you. That's not what. That's you. not what America is about. America is about liberty, freedom, personal responsibility. We don't want government telling us when no, and where me, to go, me, where we can walk. We don't want me. government to turn around and say, if I, if I say something that you disagree with, you will then have me arrested. That's fascism. Fascism is physical please, please force. Tell me. Well, well, wait. Just give, give me a second. So you, you said a lot of stuff. Uh, first of all, when it, came, when, it, when it comes to, you know, fascist Germany, the only people that got arrested were people who were speaking treason to the state. It wasn't just – there was free speech, There was not, but you weren't allowed to commit sedition. You're not allowed to commit sedition in America by our constitution. It's the same thing. So you're very – You obviously haven't studied I, – I will exactly – matter of fact, I'm going to make a notation of your phone number, and I will send you a list of books that you should be reading to learn and understand exactly what fascism is and why I support wait, our democratically wait, wait, elected wait, wait, republic. Wait, 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 wait. So, so wait. Instead of instead of sending me books, why don't you just talk to me? Why don't you just talk to me? Why can't you just talk to me? You're so smart. Like I guarantee you, I can defend my ideology. Can you not? Well, I don't need. Obviously, we have a guest. You fail to. Yeah, and we, we have, have a guest, guest coming up that I want to give him time to, and obviously you are fully unaware of what fascism is compared to our republic. We are a rule of laws, yes, but we are, have the freedom to say what we want. In Nazi Germany, if you said anything against the Socialist Party, you were imprisoned. Many people were killed because they disagreed okay. with what their government was doing. Here in the okay. United States, you can disagree with your government and get along peacefully, and no one should be harassing you or threatening you, but that's what fascists do. And it's bullshit. It's bullshit. Absolutely, I'm a fascist. Absolutely. You want to – here's the perfect example. So I'm guessing now you're saying you're, you're a conservative. You have people rioting in the streets, tearing down monuments, destroying our constitution, literally pissing on it, pissing on our flag, saying, fuck this country. But they still get benefits. Yes, you're you're fucking right as a fascist. I would execute them. You're absolutely you right. To curse, I, will get, all right, I do not allow cursing. We ask I'm to sorry, talk civilly. Don't need foul language. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. But there is a difference between freedom of speech and sedition. There's a huge difference. Amer- all right, obviously you are, are not, not aware of what not. fascism is compared to conservatism. Because what you're you're if you're saying you're defending the constitution, then there is no way you can be a fascist. You're losing. You cannot be a fascist and still defend the 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 constitution. They're two dipolar. Yeah, the constitution is is They're opposite. They are polar opposites. The constitution is crap. Thank you for the call. Have a nice day. All right, let's bring along Bobby Lawrence. This uh, this is unfortunately wow. what, what our youth are being brain fed with. Oh man, this is the, what our youth are being 
said, you know, they think fascism is, is in alignment with the Constitution, and yet they want to destroy it. it, it it's mind-boggling, Bobby, absolutely mind-boggling. We want to welcome aboard Bobby Lawrence, protectyourvoteusa.org. Welcome back, Bobby. And for good reason. <laughs> yes, well, thank you very much. Boy, that guy was a little off there, wasn't he? Way mm. off base. Yeah, see, that's there the problem. Is, you I, cannot argue with stupidity. You can fix ignorance, but stupidity, you have to brush it aside. You know, that, and that guy was just plain stupid. He was he was not only ignorant of what fascism is, but he was stupid, and he was, and he was backing up the fact that he was stupid with every word that he said. Okay, so enough about that idiot. All right. <laughs> I agree. Let's get to the real news of the day. What do you want to talk about today? Man, um, I see now we've got 15 the District of Columbia signing on to this national popular vote. However, Colorado uh, backed out. Um, they haven't fully withdrawn, but they they backpedaled some. So you still remain at 196 electoral votes under this you know interstate compact. And we have later on in the show um, Zach Smith from the Heritage Foundation, who's going to be talking about the subject also. But you recently had a Supreme Court ruling dealing with faceless electors in the Electoral College. And I know you put up a couple of videos explaining this. Uh, explain to our listeners here exactly what is a faithless elector. Okay, uh, the, a faithless elector, as the Supreme Court was, was looked at it, it came from a lawsuit, uh, mainly they focused on Washington State. Um, and Washington State, let me see, it was three Washington electors. It was Peter, Levi, and Esther, and they violated their pledges to support Hillary Clinton in the 2016 presidential election. Well, in response to that, the state, meaning the state of Washington, fined the electors, the, the, the electoral de- college delegates, $1,000 apiece for breaking their pledges to support the same candidate that their party's voters had voted in the primary. So the electors challenged their fines in state court. Okay? So that's what the Supreme Court was. The the, the state court, they said that the state, and I'll read this exactly, the state held, which means they enforced, that a, the state court enforced this, said a state may enforce an elector's pledge to support his party's nominee and the state voter's choice for president. Now, that's a direct quote from the Supreme Court opinion, the Supreme Court of the United States. And Elena Kagan, she wrote this opinion, and I'm going to say it again. This is part of the opinion. They were saying that they upheld the lower court that a state may enforce an elector's pledge to support his party's nominee, hyphen, and this is a key word, and the state voters' choice for president. Okay? Now, what makes that argument ridiculous on the state's part is that on April 28th of 2009, Governor Chris Georgie signed the National Popular Vote Bill, making Washington State the fifth state to enact or join the National Popular Vote Agreement which says that they're, they're going to go against the argument that they just won in the Supreme Court. They're going to pledge their delegates 
to a party who does not win their state vote. That's the insanity of where we're at in this country right now. Now, so that, that's pretty policies. much where the Supreme Court's faithless electors are right now. Go ahead. There are there are penalties if if they don't pledge the vote as the state popular vote. If they do it the national popular, popular vote, vote. I'm going to say it again here. This is very important. Now, when you read a ruling like this from the Supreme Court, the highest court on the planet, all right, every single word is on purpose. Every single word has been looked at a hundred times at least, and the possible meaning behind each of those words have been discussed by the, by the, by the Supreme Court justices, and no word, no word in a Supreme Court ruling like this, in a 33-page opinion, no word is a mistake, okay? So I'm going to say this again. This is what they upheld that a state may enforce an elector's pledge to support his, and I'm going to put a hyphen here, or a big, big, I'm going to nail this one to the table, pledge to support his party's nominee and the state voter's choice for president. Okay? Mm-hmm. So what does that do? That leaves the door wide open because the national popular vote, what they doing with the national popular vote and how you can square this on all four corners is, yes, they joined the national popular vote bill. And this Supreme Court ruling does not imperil or put at risk their joining that, that national popular vote agreement. And here's why. Because the national popular vote, all it does, all the agreement really does is it says that the states will appoint the electors from the party that wins the national popular vote, not the state popular vote, in the general election. See, we have two elections. We have one election in, in all the states except two. It's a winner-take-all. We have Maine and Nebraska which are um, proportional. So we're not going to talk about them because they're a super, super minority. So we're just going to talk about the winner-take-all states, which is, which is going to, this is going to, that problem is going to be exacerbated and made, made larger by this, by this ruling, and also doubly so or triply so when they go to a national popular vote when they achieve 270. So I'm going to say that again. What the state is going to do is assign the delegates from the party that wins the national popular vote, regardless of who wins the state's general election popular vote. Now, in the Supreme Court ruling, it says the state voters' choice. It does not say which election, because we have two elections. We have a primary election where we select the slate of electors or delegates, and then we have a general election. Now, after the general election, the way things are now is the states assign the delegates from the winning party of their state's general election vote. You follow me? Not exactly. I'm getting confused here. Okay, so let me, let me nail this down. So there's basically a four-step process. When we, when we go through a presidential election, all right, 
The very first election that we have within a state is the primary election, and that's when everybody chooses their primary. So in the Democrats' case, it was Joe Biden, and you had uh, Pocahontas, and you had a couple other ones in there you know, um, that were running for the office of president. You had Michael Bloomberg, and they were running for, at the primary level, they are running for their party's nomination. Okay? So they have to mm-hmm. win a majority of the states and get enough party delegates. In the Democrat Party, they have delegates that are called uh, superdelegates. And it's, it's kind of funny that they use superdelegates when the Democrats are the one pushing the national popular vote. But So we, we're dealing with the first part of it. The first part of it is the Republicans, they pick their electors. And then the, the Democrats pick their electors. So you have, you have, like for my state, it's Pennsylvania. So we have the Democrats pick 20, and the Republicans pick 20. And those are our electors that will go to the Electoral College that will report the vote to Congress after the general election. So we go through the primary, and the parties each pick 20 delegates or 20 electors. All right? Then we have the campaign, campaign, campaign. You have who wins, who wins the general election, or who wins the, excuse me. You have a winner of the primary, and that's the winner who wins the most states. Then the winner of the primary happens to be Joe Biden for the Democrats and Donald Trump for the Republican. Okay? So now we have to vote as a country as 50, 50 separate elections plus D.C., we have to vote for which one of those two becomes the president. And that's called a general election. All right? So when we win the general election, whichever party wins the general election, the states, the way it is now, the states assign the electors or the, 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 the electoral college delegates, they assign them or appoint them as their delegates. So from the party that wins their state's general election popular vote. You follow me? All right. So if, if Donald Trump wins Pennsylvania, but Joe, and let's pretend, they're hypothetical here, that, that, uh, that Pennsylvania is part of the compact, which they are not, okay, but Pennsylvania is part of the agreement. I keep calling it an agreement and a compact. It's not really a compact. It's a simple agreement, and a compact has a central, you know, a central authority. But so it's legally an agreement. It's not legally a compact. So anyhow, if Pennsylvania were part of the compact and we had Donald Trump win Pennsylvania, um, the way it is now, Pennsylvania would assign the 20 Republican delegates. Okay. And then those Republican delegates would cast Pennsylvania's vote for Donald Trump. So if we were part of the compact called the national popular vote, the state would just appoint the Democrats. Did we lose Bobby? I think we just lost Bobby. Curtis? Well, he's still showing yeah, I'm showing him here, but I, I don't hear him. I don't hear him but at I'm all. But I'm thinking he was about to say that um, in the, if they were part of this compact and that, you know, went all the way through, the 20 would go to the to the Democrats. 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping he calls back in. Um, looks like his call dropped. I'm just trying to send him yeah. a message. Okay. No, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Tell him to call back. He is up in that area where they got that storm, I believe, the northeast. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully he will call back. Now, it's it's interesting because if you look at oh here he is. Let me just get the right mouse here. I've got two different mice. All right, let's just try to bring him back on. All right, hopefully this will do. All right, here we go. Bobby, you're back. I'm back. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right, uh, you were explaining how if Trump wins Pennsylvania, what normally would happen and what would happen under the compact. Okay, yeah, so what would happen is if Trump wins Pennsylvania, that means that the state would appoint, the way it is now, the state would appoint or assign the delegates from the Republican Party to their nas- to the nas- to report nationally, okay? If Pennsylvania right. were part of the Trump... Go ahead. No, go. No, please do finish. So, so if Pennsylvania were part of the compact... What they would do, would they would assign the the Democrat delegates if Joe Biden won the national popular vote, not the state popular vote. And then those electors under this Supreme Court ruling would be bound by Supreme Court ruling that they must cast their vote for the Democrat who won the party's popular vote within the state. Now, that would be Joe Biden, because he won the party's nomination. He won the party's popular vote, which is in the primary. The only time we have a party election is in the primary. In the general election, we have a general election, which means it's bipartisan. The only time we have a party Elect, elect, elect a nominee is in the primary. So the argument can be made quite successfully that the, that the Supreme Court was talking about the primary. Now, I have not read the whole agreement. I'm, I'm following you, but uh, from other articles I've written, it's not coming out that way. So I'm trying to figure out how they ended up doing this gymnastics. What do you mean what's not coming that way? Explain to me where, we, where, I, no. where, we're, where we're having a disconnect here. No, because what I was seeing, and I, like I said, I have not read the, the whole document, but what I had been seeing is that they were saying the state popular vote. So you're saying that even if it's a general election, they will then go back to what the primary was? They'll ignore yeah, here's, the state here's popular what I, vote? Uh, Here's what I'm telling you, okay? The, the Supreme Court, this is directly from the Supreme Court's ruling, okay? It mm-hmm. says a state may enforce an elector's pledge to support his party's nominee and the state voter's choice for president. It says which is that the primary, the state primary level, right? Yes, because when does a party 
I'm going to say it again. A state may enforce an elector's pledge to support his party's nominee. So when does the party elect their nominee? In the primary. primary. And the state voter's choice for president. So it's not either or. It's and. And the Supreme Court does not spell out whether it is a general election or a primary election. Now, what that means is that they thought it was obvious that they were talking about the general election, but nobody said it. Okay? So the states can, the states can now look at this and say, hey, wait a minute. I, I am, uh, I'm not going to do that. Uh, we're going we're gonna to follow by this rule, and we are going to assign the delegates from the Democrat Party because they won the national popular vote, and we're backed up by the Supreme Court because they said that we can assign the, uh, they assign the delegates that we want. And it can be from the party's nominee. They have to support the party's nominee. It didn't specify which election. So basically what happens is this, this Supreme Court ruling does not stop the national popular vote. It does not stop it. What it does do is it gives the states, and it, it reiterates previous rulings under Ray and a few other uh, court cases, McPherson, a few other Supreme Court cases. <clears throat> it talks about precedent, and it says that the states are to be given the broadest definition possible in their powers to assign their electors and put requirements on them. So the states, the, so the states have basically under this ruling, almost unquestionable power to do whatever they want with their delegates, their electoral college delegates, and the, and they back it up by the Constitution. Now the one thing that people bring up all the time is Article 12, and the Supreme Court says that Article 12 does not strictly re, does not restrict or put any limitations on how the state selects their electors. All that the 12th Amendment does is define how they conduct their ballots. They have, to, they have to meet at a certain time, and they have to put their ballots forward. You know, they have to you know, vote, in other words. So that's, that's the thing that, um, that's very important that we need to look at, is they, they said that Article 12 does not stop the states from... from uh, from controlling their electors, and that under Article 2, Section 1, Paragraph 2, Line 1, the states shall appoint in a manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of delegates or electors. So they said that they, based on those two things that are in the Constitution, they said that the states can do pretty much whatever they want with their electors. Bobby, um, since since you mentioned that the Supreme Court is very deliberate when they word these cases, um, why do you think they appear to be so vague in this instance? I think they appear to be so vague is because they know that there's an impending, there's going to be an impending uh, court case on this. It's not going to happen uh, in this election. You know, they have 196, and 
in Colorado, actually what happened in Colorado was not a decision by the state legislature. It was not a decision by the governor to put a postponement on joining the, the National Popular Vote Agreement. What happened in Colorado was the citizens of Colorado got together and they said, we're not going to do this and we're going to force it to a, a popular vote called a referendum, and they gathered up enough signatures out there, and it's now on the ballot to be decided by the voters on November 3rd. So the voters of Colorado will decide whether or not they join this agreement called the National Popular Vote. The governor already signed it. The state legislature already passed it. If it weren't for the citizens standing up and, and getting enough signatures to put this on the ballot, it would be current law in Colorado. So one thing you have to keep in mind is that this national popular vote agreement does not go into effect until they reach a total number of states that their electors will be 270 when they add them together. So they need 270 electors of participating states before it goes into effect. Now, can we sue them? No, we as citizens cannot sue them. There's been a few people that have tried. Uh, one fellow was Tyler Miller, and he was actually in Washington State. Tyler Miller is a true patriot, and he took this on himself. I think he's an electrician. I've talked to him many times. And he put forth a lawsuit where he was suing the state for disenfranchisement, and the, 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 the courts threw it out because they said he does not have standing, and for two reasons. Um, number one is nobody has been harmed yet because nobody's lost an election over it. And number two, the citizens do not have a right, do not have a constitutional right to elect the president. So if you look at the Constitution, nowhere in the Constitution of the United States of America does it say that the citizens have a constitutional right to vote for the office of president. And that was backed up. In 2000, the, one of the, the, the Chief Justice in 2000 was, has been quoted as saying, the Constitution has no requirement for states to hold a public election for the office of president. If the state legislature deems the governor of such state may appoint their electors, so that's, that's, that's where we're at. We have no standing as United States citizens because the office of the president was never created to be a direct representative of the people. The office of the president was created to be a representative of the states. The representative of the people is called the House of Representatives. The House of that's Representatives. Right. The House of Representatives, their first duty is to jealously guard the freedom of the citizens they represent. The first duty of a U.S. senator is to jealously guard state sovereignty from the federal government overreach and from overreach from the executive branch, the president. That's what the first duty of a U.S. senator is. And that same thing is true at the state level. Your state-level representative is to jealously guard your freedoms from the state government, from the state governor taking too much of your freedom away, and your state senator is there to jealously guard the sovereignty of the counties, the towns, the municipalities that, that are in their district. 
They're to jealously guard their sovereignty from the overreach of the state government. So that's what makes us a republic, is we are a bunch of small little communities who come together with local elected representation, and then we formed a larger governmental authority to do the will and serve the smaller, more regional districts. And that's what a republic is. A direct democracy means that we all get to vote on one centralized authoritarian figure and one centralized chamber of people to make laws. Everybody in the country gets to vote on that. That's called a direct democracy. And as Ronald Reagan said it, centralized power is a, is a hotbed for tyranny to be, to be born from. So the, the, smaller, the smaller representation, in other words, the bigger, the more centralized power becomes, the more dangerous and the, more, the, the higher the trend will be for that person in power to become a tyrant. So smaller local controlled representation, and then that representation forms a larger governmental authority and delegates authority. You see, the local counties delegate authority to the states. The states then delegated authority to the federal government through a document called the Constitution. And the office of the president was made to represent the states, mostly from outside influence on the union. Okay? I'm going to ask you this because there's only been five times that we elected a president that did not garner the national popular vote. Only five times. Um, it was John Adams, Rutherford Hayes, uh, Harrison, Bush, and Trump. So only five times out of you know, 45 presidents being elected was it by electoral college. So what's going to happen to this national popular vote compact should Trump garner the national popular vote? Now, say that again, the the compact and the national popular vote. Say say that again. There's only been five times we elected a president. There's only been five times. So there's only been five times in history when, when the popular vote across the country did not match the Electoral College outcome. So in 244 years and 45 presidents, there's only been five times when the popular vote and the national popular vote has not, I mean the Electoral College and the national popular vote has not lined up. So the argument that the left is making that we have a problem with how we elect the president is a false flag because it's only happened five times out of 45 times, okay? So mm-hmm. the, those five times is when our republic form of government was protected from a direct democracy. So five times in our nation's history, the Electoral College saved our republic The other forty, okay. the other forty, uh, the other forty times, everything 
was copacetic and cohesive. So if well, you look at the statistics what, what, and you look, you look at the science from that, do we, do we really have a problem with the Electoral College, or do we have a problem that the left, the, the left, the, the Democrats, cannot win every single election? Which is the problem? That the Electoral College doesn't work, which it's only had to come into play five times in our history? Or is it that, that the Democrats can't win every single presidential election? Which one is the real problem? I think the That's real very... problem is that the Democrats can't remain in control of everything. All right. Well, you know, looking at this national popular vote, um, there's been challenges to the legality of it. And um, there was a Congressional Research Service did a a study in October of 2019, and they cited several different cases uh, where they said, as stating the words, agreement and compact are synonyms. And the explicit congressional consent of interstate compacts is not required for agreements, which the United States can have no possible objection or have any interest or interference with. But however, the report also asserted that the court required explicit congressional consent for interstate compacts that are directed to the formation of any combination tending to the increase of political power in the states, which may encroach upon or interfere with the just supremacy of the United States. So the question is, are they agreements or are they compacts? The question is, are the agreements or are the compacts? And my, my assessment of the legislation is it's a simple document. It's only like three or four pages long, depending on how big or small you make the type. It's a very short document. And it's not an agreement where one state has to do something to affect another state. It's, there's no commerce that happens between the states. There's no, there's no meetings between the states that take place. There's no centralized authority to oversee what happens. There's no benefit, or there is, and there is no powers that are assumed that, that, that can be regulated by the federal government. All it is, this is as simple as it is, and the Democrats, the left wing, they want to make this as, as big of an argument as they can. They want to make this so complicated that the act, that the average person like me, the average person like like the average voter, the everyday American, will get so frustrated with it that they're just going to throw their hands up and say, "Scrap the whole thing." This is all the National Popular Vote Agreement does. Is they look? In other the, words, the state, the state looks at the national tally. Okay, and they say, "Wow." Hillary Clinton got 3 million more votes than Donald Trump. It doesn't matter that those 3 million more votes were only in six counties. What matters is that she got more votes. So we're going to assign our delegates, regardless of who won, won our state election, we're going to assign our delegates from the party that wins the national popular vote. That's all it does. It doesn't, it doesn't affect any other states. Because one, one state's not saying you must assign your you, – you, I'm, in, I'm in Pennsylvania, and I joined the agreement, and Pennsylvania says to, says to Texas, hey, you must assign your delegates to the national popular voter. It doesn't make another state do anything. It holds no other state responsible for doing anything. 
The agreement is just the states declaring, they declare that they will appoint their delegates from the party that wins the national popular vote. Now, the legislation doesn't say that. But in effect, when you boil those four, three or four pages down, that's what, are, that's what they're doing. And that is how simple the argument really is. All the other constitutional arguments, hey, listen to this. Obamacare was unconstitutional, and the Supreme Court upheld it. Under the Constitution, did the founders intend for winner-take-all states? Did the founders intend that the state should control the will of the people through their electors? No, the Constitution did not. But over time, we lose our freedoms. Look, If you're older than 50 years old, look back in your life when you were 18 years old. Are you freer now than when you were 18? Are you freer now when you're 65 than when you were when you were 20? And the answer to that is hell no. Because over time, our liberties are slowly chipped away at by the left wing, by the Democrats, by global elites, by people like George Soros, Jonathan Soros, Bill Gates, and on and on and on and on I can go. And they just, the only way that they can control us is to centralize more and more power, more and more control. And they do that by limiting the number of people we have in Congress representing us. They do that by making the large cities have more power over the suburbs, being able to subjugate smaller states by eliminating the Electoral College. I mean, this is, this is how much we are under attack. You know that the founders intended that no more people should be represented. In other words, each representative in the House of Representatives, each of those representatives should represent no more than 50,000 people. Well, right now, they represent about 750,000 people. You take 330 million and divide it by 750,000, you come up with 438, okay? So if we were going by what the founders intended and we had local control of our freedom, we would have, and 50,000 was the most, rep- think about this. How much money would you have to raise if you only have to get 26,000 people to vote for you Versus 350,000 people. How much money would they have, and how much power would you have? Would, you would bump into your House of Representatives member when they were home going to the grocery store. You wouldn't have to try and get them on the phone. They wouldn't become these popular, these political pop stars like they are right now because they would be locally known, they would be locally accountable. And we would have over 6,000 of them in the U.S. House of Representatives right now if they only represented... 50,000 people. We would have thousands of them. Now, is that workable? Yes, it's workable because the founders intended for government to be impeded. And the only way that they could move forward with legislation is when there was broad approval and consent by the people. Right now, you only need a few hundred people to subjugate the rest of the nation. And that's not what the founders intended. The left has been slowly attacking our liberty and freedom for 100 years, and it's culminating at this point in history. Does that make any sense? I'm understanding everything you're saying because we see it time and time again. They dictate what type of toilets we buy, what type of light bulbs we buy. That's not part of the Constitution. That's not what their job is in the House. 
Exactly. And they and tell us to wear a mask. We must yeah, wear exactly. a mask. Exactly. And now the Democrats are, are gearing up to have, the, the, in order for us to walk around freely, we have to have a vaccination paper. So let me see. I mean, they're gearing this up. The legislation's already been written. That when they find this 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 vaccine for coronavirus for COVID nineteen, the legislation's already there. That you must, in order for you to walk around in public, you have to be vaccinated, just like your kids have to be vaccinated to go to a public school. Guess what? That model works. We have given up that power that we have to vaccinate our children in order to send them to a public school. Well, the next step is to subjugate the rest of the population. You need to have this vaccine. Where's your paperwork? Imagine an SS trooper walking up to you with their sidearm on and saying, where's your papers? That is coming. <laughs> well, when we have so, kids you know, I mean, I'm not, growing I'm up not, like Zachary had called in earlier, this is what the, our schools are teaching them, that it's okay to go into socialism, into fascism, into communism. It's a better we'll model than our republic. They hate their they, own they, country. They, That's terrible. The only problem, the problem is, as you, you mentioned, Bobby, that we are, have less freedoms now than when you and I were kids or when Curtis was a kid. We had more freedoms, but slowly we have ceded it. So we now have generations coming up that are of voting age that never knew the freedoms we did. They don't understand That's exactly it. That's right. Like Ronald Reagan said, Ronald Reagan said, is, one day, if patriots, if good men and women do nothing, if good men and women do nothing, there will come a time when we have to explain to our children and our grandchildren what it was like to live in a free America. And we are living that right now. I have to explain to my 16-year-old daughter what it was like to be free when I was her age. I'm living Ronald Reagan's warning to us. I'm living it every single day with my children. I have to explain to them what it was like to be free when I was 16. And I'm only 53. And I'll be damned if I'm going to lay down and let this tyrant this Democrat Party, these tyrants take away our liberty and not speak my voice every chance I get. And any patriot out there that doesn't wake up and think and look at this, they're not a patriot. To every citizen out there who hears my voice and thinks I'm a fascist, I'm going to tell you straight up, I want one thing for this country. I want the most individual freedom so you can exercise your personal liberty under a common sense rule of law as much as possible. I'm going to say that again. I want an America where you have as much personal freedom as possible and you have individual liberty under a common sense rule of law for every single person that breathes, every single citizen that breathes a breath of air in this country. Now, that's not fascism. And if you think it's fascism, then you're ignorant. And if you double down on it, that makes you stupid. And you, and you invalidate your voice when you try to confront someone who does know the difference. And I'm, sorry if now patri- is- I'm sorry if my patriotism and my love of freedom offends you. If it offends you, then you'd be offended and move some other where else. <laughs> you know, they, they, we've gotten to a point, you know, when you look at this, the, the Black Lives Matter movement, when you look at their website, they're, they're saying we were trained as Marxists. We were trained 
to bring down your republic, to destroy your constitution, to destroy your American way of life. (coughs) Excuse me. I apologize. They are blatant on that. They are openly saying, we're here to destroy everything you have and take away your freedoms and liberties. And no one is challenging them. Instead, you've got corporations bending over backwards and making donations to the very organization that is treasonous to our country and our way of life. There's no other way to explain it. This is pure, unadulterated treason. So here, here's, here's what that- I want to say. Exactly. Here's what I want to say to back that up, Ann. So Black Lives Matter raises money for the Democrat Party. They are a political organization. Legally, they are a political organization. So the statement, Black Lives Matter, there's nothing wrong with the statement that black lives matter. All lives matter. What, they, what the left has done is they've taken a statement that on its face makes sense and that every American could get behind. And what they've done is the underlying, the underlying principles, the actions that they take, are not what every American believes in. So they're a political party, and you've got the mayor of New York City who paints Black Lives Matter making a political statement, paints Black Lives Matter on public property, which is endorsing a political organization. So should, should, should someone from the conservatives, should the Heritage Foundation sue the, state of the, the, the city of New York for equal representation, for equal time? Hey, you gave the political organization <clears throat> Black Lives Matter, you gave them a street, and you painted the message on there. How about if we have Heritage Foundation and we have our message, our logo, painted on another street a block away? That would be fair because the left is all about fair and equal. They want equal outcome and equal opportunity. I, I'm, I totally support equal opportunity. The left wants to take it a step further to equal outcomes, which is socialism. So let's use their own argument against them. You want an equal outcome, then where's my street so I could paint my message on there? I'm a political organization. Protect Your Vote USA is a political organization. Do I get a street in New York City that I could paint Protect Your Vote USA on? Under the fairness, under the ideals that they put forth, the left, why do I, not get, why do I get disenfranchised to have my own street in New York City? Because you Does got that the wrong message. Because they don't got want the wrong fairness. They them. don't want. They, they say they want an equal outcome, but no, they want their outcome, and you must submit to their outcome. They want fascism, pure and simple. That's exactly or face right. Their, or face their wrath. They say one thing. They say one thing, but then do something completely opposite. So don't don't listen to what I'm saying. Well, actually, listen to what I'm saying, but don't pay attention to what I'm doing. So, you know, you tear down statues, well, that, and half the statues they tore down were people that fought for the very civil rights they are saying they are also championing. But there can't be civil rights. There's the most uncivil rights. It's their right and no one else. And if you look the at ultimate, Black Lives Matter... Exactly, exactly. The ultimate minority is the individual. Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand, the 
yeah. ultimate yeah. minority yeah. is the left. individual. The and there is where comes personal freedom and individual liberty. The left is against um, individuality because their focus is in collectivism, and their power is within those groups that fall under the umbrella, you know, the Democrat Party, where we, you know, extol the virtues of, you know, lifting yourself up by the bootstraps and being all that you can be. On their side, you can't do it unless, you know, government comes to your aid or the group, you know, of victims. You know, you have a group of victims like yourself. And and that's the that's what they're teaching these kids today. And they like you said earlier, they use terminology that really doesn't represent their true agenda, like the Affordable Care Act. It's anything but affordable. But exactly. the Democrats are good. They are good at messaging and marketing their agenda. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like we Karl, Marx, Karl Marx used to say this. He wrote the Communist Manifesto. Karl Marx used to say this. We have to replace leftism with the word progressivism. We have to replace the national identity with individual personal preference over morality. I mean, he went on and on. Karl Marx put it out there, what he believed in. If people want to truly know about what socialism is and what fascism is, that's like uh, Adolf Hitler. A lot of these colleges and universities are teaching students that Adolf Hitler was an extremist. He was an alt-right. No, that's not true. Adolf Hitler, his political party, C.S. Bennett, you probably know this, what was the political party of the Nazis? It was the National Workers Socialist Party. Party, yeah. They were the socialists. It It was in the title of their political party. They were socialists. Socialism is on the left. Socialism is centralized power, authoritarian, central control, central production, high taxation, limited freedom. On the right, you have freedom. You have individual liberty. You have open debate. You have honest discussions based on intelligence and facts and not feelings and false promises. Which was so frustrating when that guy Zachary called in earlier on the show. You know, he was not willing to listen, and that's the problem. They no longer want to listen. They had to say, no, no matter what you say, you're going to be called a racist. You're going to be called a bigot. You're going to be told that you're you're not as, as, you're a subhuman. This is what the Black Lives Matter has actually had. This is what uh, one of their founders, um, probably can't even pronounce this this woman's name, uh, Yezera Kohat. Kogali, she said in 2006, she wrote, white people are genetic defect of blackness. Whiteness is not humanist. In fact, white skin is subhuman. Now, if, if I were to say that and insert the word black, I would be excoriated so badly. But it's perfectly fine for her to say this, and you tell me this is not racism? Yeah. You know, I love Morgan Freeman. This is one of Morgan Freeman's. Morgan Freeman, I love the man. Here's why. Because he's a true American before he's black. And Morgan Freeman says this. He says, if you want to end racism, if you want to end racism, stop talking about it. I'll stop calling me a white man, and I'll stop, I'll stop calling you a white man, and you stop calling me a black man. Let's just, be a, let's just be men, and let's have honor between us. 
I mean, that's Morgan Freeman. You got to love that, man. Well, you also you have now in Seattle. Why does the government ask you what race you are? Why does the government ask you what sex you are? So they can divide us up into little pigeonholes. It's none of the government's damn business what race you are. It's none of the government's business what sex you are. So we've kind of gotten off the topic of, of the national popular vote and the Supreme Court decision, but that's okay because these type of discussions need to happen. Are we Americans first? Do we all believe in personal liberty and individual freedom? If we read the document called the Declaration of Independence, who can argue with that? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men, meaning mankind, all men are created equal and endowed by their creator. It doesn't say God. Oh, but, but, it their creator. Oh, but, it could but, be Bobby, your creator. It could be your mother. If you're agnostic, if you don't believe in Jesus, it could be your mother and father. You are endowed by your creator with certain inalienable rights. Among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Who can argue with that? But, but Bobby, don't you understand? These were white slaveholders that wrote that document. How, how can a white slaveholder say all men are created equal? Because it could be a Martian. Was- it could be a Martian. It could be somebody that's not even on this planet that was from a different world, from a different universe. It could be. Who cares who wrote the document? Look at what it says. Exactly. Who cares what says? Who cares what who says? Do you know that the person that said every home should have a firearm because it is your personal responsibility to have that firearm to protect your family and your property? Do you know who said that? Martin Luther King. What I was trying to say is that our founders, what I was trying to say, Bobby, is that our founders knew that we were going to have this fight of freedom for every single man. They put the mechanism in place in the Constitution and in the Declaration of Independence to give us the tools for the abolitionists exactly. to finally succeed exactly. and give here's, everyone here's exactly freedom. Right, they knew here's, there was a problem. And, and who insisted on the phrase of equality? Thomas Jefferson. He had. We almost didn't have the Constitution because... The abolitionists said, no, we must recognize every man's freedom. And they said, all right, fine. George Washington, that one last day, wrote in a minister, had everyone kneel in prayer, and says, we must build this nation. Let's take this fight down the road, but let's get the nation first formed, and then we can fight for freedom for everyone. They knew exactly. that in the order first, to form, exactly. we had to do this first, and then do the other fight. Exactly. The word, the word property was replaced with happiness. The word property was replaced with happiness because the abolitionists did not want the black man to be referred to as property. That's why the word property was replaced with the word happiness in the Declaration of Independence. They knew that they could not form a nation having that argument of slavery at that time in history. They knew that the argument would come they knew and that see, the people, argument would come because it is, natural, it is the natural course as the human condition becomes more educated and becomes more aware. It is the natural condition to find peace 
It is, and find what is just. Because there is a battle between good and evil. And over time, over the millennia, good will prevail. We live in the single greatest experiment in all of human history, and it's called self-government. It's called personal freedom, free will. You know, you have to have freedom. We have to have personal freedom in order for us to exercise our individual liberties. If we don't have personal freedom, each and every one of us, if we don't have personal freedom to move about and do things, we cannot exercise our individual liberties. We've got, well, you must have freedom first because if you look up the word liberty, the word liberty is defined by freedom. Liberty, we have, a, we have the liberty amendments, the first ten amendments. The liberties are the second amendment, the right to keep and bear arms. We have the right to petition, peacefully protest. The, 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 the government should not impede religion, freedom of the press. I can go on and on and on. The rights, the right, the right to our personal effects, our properties, and our papers. I can go on and on. The liberty amendments. Liberty is something that you do with freedom. And and when you look at that document and you read it for what it really meant, meant it is a timeless document that has meaning beyond when it was written. That does not mean that it is a living document. What it means is that the founders of this country wrote a document that was so far above the understanding of people at that time that they knew that the American population would either grow to fulfill the ideals that were laid out in the Constitution of the United States and the Declaration of Independence, or that we would fail as a nation to meet those expectations. And when you look at the struggle that's going on now, it is do we rise as a people to meet the expectations that were so excellently written in those two documents? Do we rise to meet those expectations? Or do we give in to human frailties and inadequacies and ignorance and fall? We will, do we fall so far back that we cannot recover? And, and the, the takeover of our educational system was, was a grand plan. I do believe this. And, it, and we've, been, we've been asleep at the wheel, and we've allowed our education system to become an indoctrination factory. Well, I think a lot of these parents now doing the homeschooling have learned a lot. They're seeing what the schools are doing. I think the revolution will be at the ballot box, but it will also be at the school boards. Bobby, I want to thank you for joining us. we got our next guest up. People can find you by going to your Facebook page, Bobby Lawrence, and also protectyourvoteusa.org. Um, I just want to let you know because I, I was checking your site out, and I checked it out like maybe a couple of weeks ago. And I saw that in our state house was a national popular vote that went into committee. I double-checked with my representative and my state senator. It is not making it out of committee in this state of South Carolina. So, guys, go to Bobby's website, protectyourvoteusa.org. Click on your state, see what legislation is out there, and contact your state senator and representative and get it killed. Bobby, you're doing a hard job out there. God bless you for it. Thank you very much. Take care. Hey, all take, right, care. take care. All right, all right. thank you all. God bless. Okay, Bobby. All right. Bye.
Bobby Laws, check out his Facebook page as well as protectyourvoteusa.org. He's very passionate, and rightly so. If we don't keep on top of this, we will lose our nation. Let's bring in a new guest on the show, our latest victim in the batter's box. I want to welcome aboard Timothy Dave. Welcome, Timothy. Yep. Hello. Good afternoon, Annie and CS. Uh, thanks for having me hey. on. Hey. How's it going? Thanks for joining oh, us. Like- Awesome. I tell you, it's um, Bobby. I was just sitting here. He is on fire, but, you know, we, we need uh, more Patriots like that. And um, as I was sitting here listening to him, I was just pulling up um, some of the quotes from Benjamin Franklin about um, our Constitution Republic. And, you know, everything that he said, I mean, he is just spot on with um, our educational system, the judiciary, everything. It's just been a complete um, systematic takeover and, and failure, um, at least on those aspects. And there's, there's some other failures also. I hope we can, we can discuss those. Well, you know, I'm in the midst of reading Sidney Powell's latest book, The Conviction Machine. And what I'm reading, excuse me, uh, what I'm reading about in there in our judicial system is scaring the bejesus out of me. But uh, Curtis had sent me a really great email, Curtis, and I didn't mention this to you. I should have. Uh, where you talk about criminal solicitation and joint criminal enterprise, and we're looking at the violence that is being done out there by Antifa, the Black Lives Matter fascist movement, um, about whether or not people that are cheering these people on should be prosecuted as co-conspirators. Well, that's a, that's an interesting argument. Um, <clears> There's <throat> another uh, great conservative voice out there who you probably know, uh, Dr. Michael Savage, who um, he mm-hmm. has said for many years that um, such organizations like the ACLU, um, uh, some of the other uh, left-leaning organizations, that they could be charged under the RICO statutes uh, with regards to racketeering um, and corruption. And that's, that's how we brought down Al Capone and a lot of the mobsters. And if you listen to some of his arguments with regards to using RICO, it could be done. The problem is is that there has to be the political will to do it, and sadly, um, those who have the power, particularly on the, on the Republican side, when they have the power, they fail to exercise it for fear of being called names or being ostracized and – um, it, it relates also to what uh, Bobby was discussing with regards to the Black Lives Matter um, circumstances. I mean, you don't, they don't even hide it. You can go to their website. I'm, I'm looking at it right now and they under about who we are, and they are clearly uh, anti-American, and they want to replace um, our form of government. But they have done a very good job of masking that and they are covered for they're they're covered for by the media and mainly because because it has black lives matter everybody can agree with black lives matter all all lives matter but if you disagree then we get into the cancel culture circumstance and there's a lot of that going around so there's an abject fear of being called racist or you don't support um black lives and it's an easy trap to fall into if you don't know how to navigate it properly. You know, it, it's reading some of the demands, excuse me, they say that now we transform. Yeah, transform by uh, getting rid of the nuclear family structure. Um, 
They also want to abolish all police, all prisons, a progressive restructure of the tax codes. I mean, some of the things they have on there are just anything and everything to absolutely destroy us as a nation. And as Bobby said, you know, why are we we identifying as a black American, white American? We should be unhyphenated Americans, as my friend Lloyd Marcus loves to say, unhyphenated Americans. If, if we are supposed to be, as, as Martin Luther King preached, looking at the content of character, not the color of skin, then wouldn't that be true civil rights and civil liberties? Well, that, that absolutely would be, uh, Annie. That is, that is the America that, um, that the founders envisioned, although there were some issues with the founders, but that's part of our history. That's a part of our American heritage. Um, and that was what Martin Luther King, his actual message was to to be that a man or woman be judged on the content of their character and not the color of their skin. But that message, you, you notice a lot of the things and with the Black Lives Matter website, those things with regards to uh, disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family structure, uh, the queer affirming network, um, it is, it's at the very end. It's not in the beginning. It's at the very end. <laughs> so if you don't take the time to scroll down and read through it, you'll miss it. And that's where the educational system comes in. Our, our educational system now, um, there's this lack of actual teaching of American history, good and bad, and everything is related to um, – the the split second um, uh, you have to get the sound bite you have to get the quick sound bite the quick hitter in and it's based on emotion uh, I can show you an image of something of of a of a, a black man being brutalized by the police and then that stands for everything so you have to jump on board no matter what the circumstances and facts are behind it or the context of what happened that you everything is based on the visual and the emotion. And then everyone jumps on board without even really understanding the, the what they're supporting. Um, yes, it, it, it comes back to education and um, a lack of leadership, unfortunately, in in, um, in Congress. Well, you know, a lot of it goes right back to the education system and the teaching of Marxism and socialism over our democratically elected republic. Um, It's the brainwashing. But with this pandemic that we're going through, um, I think parents are starting to realize what is being taught to their child. Uh, There's going to be a revolution at the ballot box, but I think the revolution is also going to occur at the school boards. Absolutely. I agree. It it, it needs, there needs to be a revolution. Um, that that is one of the I think one of the blessings that will come out of this uh, pandemic, um, for what it's worth, um, because people are actually realizing what is being taught or or what's not being taught. I mean, just the basics um, of students not understanding how basic our government is. Three uh, branches of government: legislative executive and judicial and not understanding how each one of those parts their 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 checks and balances on one another and those are things that we used to be taught 
you know, fourth and fifth grade civics. And now it's, I think it's non-existent or it's just touched on, but there's more focus on what the so-called ills are of our system of government and what capitalism is and, and, and how evil it is versus this collectivism, as, as Bobby mentioned earlier, this collectivism that this sense of fairness, you know, why should you have that? I should have that too. Um, fairness does not mean equal, mean equal outcome. It just means that you have an equal opportunity. But based on your individual effort is how far you will go and how you far you will succeed. But that's not taught in schools anymore, unfortunately. No, everyone points to the European model where, you know, you if you try to do something and you fail, you are not given a second chance. Here in the United States, you're not only given a second, you're given a third, fourth, fifth, fifteenth chance. You can try yes. as many times as you want. You can fail as many times, but maybe just once you're going to finally succeed and get to that point. We give you every opportunity to try. Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah, you... You're right, Timothy. A lot of um, people who vote Democrat do not know what they're supporting. I recently sent out a, a YouTube um, video of Dr. Carol Swain, and she goes yes. through the history of the you know, Democrat Party, um, something I've been doing the last um, six, seven, eight years. And so one of my friends wrote me back, and she said in her email, you know I vote Democrat, and um, I wrote it back, and I said, yeah, and don't you just love their history? <laughs> I haven't heard back from it since. <laughs> you, you know, Curtis, but they don't know what a, they they don't know what they're supporting. You know, Curtis, that, that's a great point. You know, I um, I'm about the same age. I'm not going to say exactly how old I am, but um, I've been around long enough where, you know, my, my, my mother's still alive. My father, he passed away a few years ago. But they were born and grew up under Jim Crow. Um, I'm in, I was born in the Deep South. And at the time that I was born, I was caught the tail end of actual racism, you know, the Jim Crow. So I never really experienced the way that they did. But it amazes me how many of the older people in that generation who actually grew up under Jim Crow – and and the the old Dixiecrats and the Southern Democrats, you know the Lester Maddoxes, the Herman Talmages, um, the uh, Faubus, Orville uh, Faubus, um, I can just name them all. Uh, Bull Connor over in Alabama, you know, and they were Southern Democrats, but they were nonetheless Democrats. And it amazes me how those people who lived under that and grew up under that, they just all of a sudden just completely forget their actual life experiences of growing up and living under that and supporting the party of the the clan. Let's just keep it real. And who were used violence, although they had the right to vote, they used violence in order to keep them from voting and, and trying to actually affect change. It, it, it still amazes me to amazes me to this point, and so Dr. Dr. Swain, who um, you know she's on PragerU, she puts out great videos and she tells the history. And when you remind people of that, it, it is you you get those type of responses because it's facts. It's not based on emotion. It's based on facts and truth. 
And if that history was actually taught in schools like it like it used to be, then we wouldn't have, you know, 60 or 70 percent of the problems that we have today. But it's just not taught, and that's by design. You know, it, it, the brainwashing that's going on in our public school systems is phenomenal. And like I said, there is awakening. There is an awakening. Because if you even look at the TV commercials now for these online schools, you see them with more of a conservative, traditional bent to it. You know, my church runs a, a traditional school. And they have yeah. people applying. We don't have enough slots for the amount of people that are, are trying to get their kids in. They're now starting in with charter schools, which is great because now family has to be involved with the school directly, whether you serve as a lunch uh, room attendant or a classroom assistant, the parents or family member must donate 20 hours a month. So it, getting the parent involved back in the direct education yes. of that child or other family member guardian, it's going to change the way our nation is thinking. We, we've lost several generations right now because of the school system. I don't know if we'll ever get them back. Because if you look at the violence that's going on in the street, and what amazes me is that they said out of all those people that are out there protesting and, and destroying the statues and the stores and everything else, over 65% or more are white youth. Yes. So this is how yeah. – and, and they have a few that turn around and they put in front of the camera so you can see the black face. See, this is for Black Lives Matter. But the vast majority are white youth, privileged youth. It's, it's, it is it is amazing. Um, have um, um, CS and Annie, have you ever seen the YouTube uh, videos? There's several videos um, of the KGB agent um, Besmanov. I'm, I'm trying to remember his, his first name. But it, there, there are several videos that are on YouTube now. Um, he's an ex-KGB agent. And his last name was Besmanov, B-E-Z-M-E-N-O-V. If you haven't seen his videos, um, I strongly suggest uh, to your listeners to take a look at his videos. He was a KGB agent who um, defected from the Soviet Union. Um, then the videos were filmed in the 1980s. But if you watch the videos now, it is, it is what's happening now. And he talks about the how the Soviets planned to infiltrate and indoctrinate the American people. And it was through education. And if you've watched those videos, I mean, it, it, it's, it's horrifying to see, but those, those things have actually come to fruition now. And just the fact that we have – it's something so basic that you would think is just education, but that is how they've infiltrated us. And now, you know, you go to a university. I mean, it starts well before the university level, but at the university level – I mean, if you're if you're a conservative or you don't think the way everyone else thinks, you're going to be canceled. And with this social media, social media is another an issue, <laughs> and we could talk all day about that. But this culture, because they just don't understand. But he he also talks about saying that people are would would end up being useful idiots. And at the end, when the, the indoctrination period has passed. When the indoctrination period is passed and, and they are in control, then 
they would have no use for the useful idiots, and they would be exterminated just like everyone else. And either you you either told a lion, or you would be you would be killed. And this is this is exactly what is happening right now, and it's bullying at the highest degree. And there's no yeah. other way to say it. It is absolute bullying. Um, you will be ostracized. Heaven forbid you think differently from them. Heaven forbid you think that you have the right to say what you want, to go where you want. No, you don't. You have to say what they right. think. You have to go where they tell you. And that's not liberty. That's not the American Republic. That's fascism. That is communism. When you, we, that if you watch, there was a video of this woman in New York that she confronted the Black Lives Matter. And, man, if you saw the YouTube video, she goes right smack in the guy's face. She goes, you have no right to tell me where I can walk or what I can say. But that's yeah. – and she's, she's citing the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Yes, she has the right of freedom of movement and freedom of speech. But that's not what this movement's about. It's about tyranny, pure and simple tyranny. Well, you know, if the if the media if the media were honest, I think we saw a it was a, a good example of it. Excuse me, it was a good example of it in the um, so-called chop jazz zone in Seattle a couple of weeks ago, um, and how that played out. Um, with oh, the, the summer of love. Although, <laughs> yes, yes, and the summer of love turned into um, segregation because they had segregation, and they you could not move about freely. You know, you had to show identification. They built a wall to keep people out, um, and if you didn't go by their rules, then you know you were you were canceled, and they would beat you up, kill you, throw you out. Uh, you couldn't when people were injured. The the law enforcement since they were not welcome. Um, they had to get permission. They had their own um, police force. I mean, it was a microcosm of what it would actually end up being if, if we were to live under that type of tyranny. And, but the young people, they don't see it yet. They and there's a part of that. They needed to see that. A lot of American people needed to wake up and see something like that to say, wait a minute, these people are they're a little crazy. Um, but one other thing also, and C.S., you can um, um, help me out with this. You, you notice, Annie, notice, Annie, that a lot of these radical, the radical movements, um, they attach themselves to the uh, to to blacks, to minorities, people of color, and the reason why that is done, whether it's to push Marxism, naked Marxism like Black Lives Matter, or to push um, the uh, the LGBTQ uh, agenda and some other extreme extreme some of the extremes politically is because if you attach your movement to people of color, then you can't attack them. Otherwise, you you just say, "Oh, you're a racist. You're just against us because this is a black person, or it's a Latino, or, or or Asian." And so, therefore, that shuts people up, particularly white people. So, no matter what, that's part of the cancel culture. And people have to understand that if you have the facts, no matter what the, what anyone else says, if you have the facts and you have the law on your side and you can cite it 
and you can use it, 99% of the time, you're going to shut them up. Just like you said, CS, when you well, oh, yeah. spoke to your <laughs> friend, you know, when you say, well, you do, do you know about the history of your party? And yeah, how you loving that? <laughs> so uh, that's, that's the thing where we, I believe, as conservatives, as long as we have the facts and the law on our side, that's why it's so important. As Bobby stated, we need to know that Constitution inside and out. Um, I, I, can, I carry a copy of the Constitution with me everywhere I go, everywhere, um, close by. Um, if, we, if we know that and we can defend it, you're going to shut them up most of the time. And then they're going to resort to the, the ad hominem attacks. You know, oh, you're a racist. So what? You know, the fact is yeah. fact. Well, you know, that's well, the playbook think- they used for um, Barack Hussein Obama when he ran, you know. You couldn't attack him because he was uh, the first black um, presidential candidate. And it was Correct. the same when he became Clinton. president. I oh. thought it was Bubba Clinton. <laughs> <Is> that <laughs> impossible. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's but right. Anyway. It was Bill Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing well, that the left is doing, they are kind of like uh, attaching themselves to um, Christianity in, 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 the, in a way that will attract people to their cause by making it sound like what they're doing is something that's very benevolent and spiritual. And I mean, who, who could not want to help the poor? You see that angle. So they yes. attach a, a religious component to their agenda. And that's how they got a lot of black churches to go along with their agenda. And it's, it's something that I fight against all the time because I, I tell these ministers that I encounter, encounter, how can you, how can you support a political party that supports, you know, the killing of the unborn? And then I go to other things like, you know, men kissing men and marrying men and and likewise with women. How can you support that as Christians? And, you know, they they usually hand me some off-the-wall stuff, but really I can see they're not really strong in their convictions when it comes to that, but they just go along with the program because they they got themselves caught up in the system, the, the party, you know. So we get, we, yeah, we got sir. our we got our hands full with trying to reach the black community. Well, you know, Timothy, you said something very powerful. You said something very powerful because if you look at the history of radical movements, a lot of this occurred when the Muslim Brotherhood decided to infiltrate the prison system here in the United States through ministry, saying, "Oh, we're just going to yeah. be preaching God." to the prisoners and how many were converted to the Muslim Brotherhood, which gave birth to the Black Panther movement and rise to the nation of Islam with Louis Farrakhan and and his racism uh, by attaching them to a a class where they can create a victim. As long as there's the victim there. Now, anyone that says, hey, listen, this this poor guy, is it because he's black, he's in jail? Uh, Maybe because he committed a crime. Now, why is he committing a crime? Does he, did he come out of a two-parent family, a husband and wife raising him? Was he able to complete school for an education? Because if you have two parents in the family, a husband and wife married, you've got a more stable childhood. You have a better education, a better chance to get even a better job than before and be prosperous and happy. 
But it, it, by breaking up the family unit was the first step. By creating that victim's class was the next step. Now you've got someone to unite behind whatever issue you want to put forward, whether it is spreading the Muslim Brotherhood across the nation or creating massive Marxism movements or fascist movements like Antifa or Black Lives Matter. As long as you can do that, break the family apart first, take away their faith, and create the victim. You've got the perfect foot soldier. You're 100% correct, Danny. You're 100% correct. Um, that, that, is, that is the ultimate goal, actually, um, of the uh, Communist Manifesto. Um, re- remove any semblance of religion um, with the state um, and break up the family. Um, so the, that, that family unit, that nuclear family unit is disrupted, just like Black Matters lives wants. As long as there's that disruption, then you have uh, single parents, whether single fathers or mothers. It's not the ideal family, ideal family unit. The ideal family unit, mother, father, children, and you teach them um, the ways that they should that they should go, so they become um, grow up to be productive citizens and understand their rights, and then they perpetuate themselves, they they reproduce, and and then you have a a strong, stable nation. But when you disrupt that, whether it's through education, removing one of the parents from the home, substituting that with um, the victimhood mentality, then it's very hard to have a stable environment. And the more unstable the environment, the more uh, susceptible uh, the not just the children but the entire family is to um, deception. Um, I would say part part of the reason, another part of the reason that things are really bad is that, in the Christian sense, this the racism. Racist, racist, racist. That is a form of idolatry. It is a form of idolatry. And when you, uh, you know, Jesus Christ said you should have no, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ said that you should have no idols before me. And racism, um, LGBTQ, um, the entertainment industry, uh, watching sports all the time, entertainment, uh, spending hour after after hour on YouTube, all these things, uh, social media, those are those are idols. They're all idols, and they're all distractions in order to keep us pacified while the the evil one uh, does his work through his minions behind the scenes, and. The, the the church is the fail is is a part of the failure also because the church decided that when they decided that they could become five hundred one c threes and have that tax exempt status, well it was okay for a while, but then now, in a lot of cases, the government says, well if you're going to have a tax exempt status, well you can't say this, you can't exclude this, you can't do that. Well now you're what's more important, your faith, or getting that tax exempt status. So the the church is, is uh, unfortunately it, it has a lot to do with the failure of uh society at this point and it we do we have time to turn it around. Yes, we have time to turn but, it around, well, but we need to do it quickly. <laughs> well, we also need pastors out there to stand firm in their faith and I'll tell you something that is uplifting. 
because our church just went through a major legal battle. We had at one point joined with the Episcopal Church, and they when we split because of their ordination of same-sex marriage ministers and other things that they were doing, that is not according to the gospel. We wanted to follow the gospel more clearly and keep our faith pure. So it became a huge property battle. Their idea was that they were going to claim our property, shut down our church. And matter of fact, it was just 20 of us. And they actually said our church, which was built in 1712, has survived through the Revolutionary War through to today, that they were going to turn it wow. into a mosque. They were going to sell it to a, a Muslim group and create a mosque oh at our church. We oh just, over just the last couple of weeks, we finally won the battle. And we are keeping our church. We were separated completely. There's a little bit about intellectual property, but I foresee us winning in that. But this is what we need. When we see our churches being attacked, we must stand firm. We've discussed the Jezebel spirit uh, on the show many times. And when you see something like this, and the Jezebel spirit loves to bring out the madness in people. Notice how crazy people have become lately, and that's the pure Jezebel yes. spirit whipping them up. I've never seen such insanity. When you see a white woman facing up at a New York City police officer who happens to be black, practically spitting in his face and telling him he's a traitor to his people and he's no longer black, what right does she have to say that to him? That is pure evil. That is the Jezebel spirit. And this is something else we have to fight. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting, uh, Annie, that you bring up the Jezebel spirit because um, a, a close friend of mine who lives um, um, in Brazil, we have this discussion almost nightly, and we talk about um, this is the same thing that's happening worldwide. It's not just here in the United States. This, this Jezebel spirit, this whole antichrist spirit, is worldwide, and uh, we talk about the Jezebel spirit, and a, a major part of that is that the failure of men to step up as men in general, not just men of color, black men, Hispanic men, just men in general, men not being men in the church, not providing guidance, and the the, the Jezebel spirit, it, it's real, um, and what we're starting to see or what we're seeing now is the actual physical manifestation of that spiritual battle that has been going on, just like the Bible says. Our, our battle is against uh, powers and principalities in, in the spirit world. We're seeing it manifest in the flesh, in the natural right now. So we, as, as believers, we need to pray more, pray like we've never prayed before. We need to pray for the leadership of this country, good and bad that they make the wise decisions, that they use wisdom. Because remember how um, God hardened Pharaoh's heart on purpose. When Moses kept coming back to him to ask him, you know, let my people go, let my people go. And the Bible says that the, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. There's a, there's a reckoning coming, um, and the Lord, we, will, we will win this battle. We're going to win this battle. The good will prevail, but we have to be prepared to fight. We that's have right. to be prepared to fight, and that's the thing. You know, we we can't sit this one out. This is real. We can't sit this one out. So we need to be on our knees. We need to be, need to be praying without ceasing. 
because we really are fighting true, truly demonic spirits. And I'm going to say one more thing. <laughs> I'm sorry being long-winded. Um, some of the things you know, that, um, yeah, some of the things that are going to come out, you know, all this resistance to um, to our president, the resistance. There are a lot of things that involve very high-level people that are going to come out eventually that we have to be prepared to pray and comfort those people who are going to be confused and they're going to be shocked by some of the things that they're going to find out about people in very high places, entertainers, politicians. They're going to be shocked to the core about some of the things they're going to, they're going to find out. The reason why there's so much resistance to, to our president and other world leaders is because there are some really evil, literally demonic things that, that, are, that have occurred and, and are still occurring that he's trying to clean up. So yeah, he's we, getting we, close we to the truth. Yes. He's getting yes. close I, to the truth. I think you may know what I'm talking about, and I'm not sure if you want to oh, go yeah. there on this on this show, but um, we, we're going to have to be in a position where we're going to have to comfort a lot of people. They're not going to believe it. Ab- They're not going to believe absolutely. it. Absolutely. We've got the Epstein thing coming to a head. We've got the thing with General Flynn coming to the head. There's a lot of stuff that's going to be coming out real soon. Do you want to stick with us, Timmy, because we've got uh, Commissioner Larry Harvey on with us also. Absolutely, I'm, 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 I'll stay. I'm, I'm listening in on the show, so <laughs> I'll be here. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm enjoying it. This is great. Thank you. Feel, right. feel free to j- jump in. So I want to welcome back to the show Putnam County Commissioner Larry Harvey. Good afternoon, Larry. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are y'all doing today? All right, oh, Commissioner. We're, we're having a blast here. I mean, there's so much to talk about. So much that is going on, and. Uh, We've now got this another round of this coronavirus outbreak hitting us. But what I find highly ironic, the way that we're reacting to it, we've never reacted to a pandemic like this before. And we've had far worse. As a matter of fact, during the Revolutionary War, uh, smallpox broke out. And one in three soldiers, continental soldiers, uh, would, that contracted it would die. That is how powerful it was. At one point, we was wondering whether or not we were able to maintain an army to fight the Brits. Now, the Brits were immune to it because they were exposed to it and they built up a natural herd immunity. But this is where we began to learn about isolation and inoculation. What General George Washington did and what some of his other troops did to help protect the troops and inoculate them, why couldn't we just do the same thing here now instead of shutting down an entire nation just follow the example of General Washington. Is that a question for me? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> okay. Well, I happen to agree with you. There's no doubt. Uh, in Putnam County, Florida, if you look at the, the numbers keep rising because uh, people are being tested tremendously, and, uh, and but they're not that sick, and or they're not or they're or they're sick or they're not sick. One or the other. We don't really know the. We're not allowed to know the numbers on that. But we've had seven deaths since March. Now, let's all face it, even one death from this attack, and I call it an attack from uh, China, if you will, on American soil. You know, it's way too many for anything. But for Putnam County, 
when we have, say, 500 cases and seven deaths, it has to tell you that 493 people are getting better. And, uh, and th- those numbers bring me hope, bring me courage, and uh, truly I'm, I'm glad of that. I'm really scared, though, for our country, and, and I don't want to say scared, maybe concerned, that our enemies know if they can shut us down with this thing right here, uh, COVID-19, what's the next one going to be and the next one after that? And um, I really I really am concerned that, you know, we need to start telling the truth about what things really are, and uh, they are an attack. And uh, it's an attack against our economy. It's against our people. And it is driving diversity. Uh, it's driving a wedge between uh, people that, frankly, I think they just lost their their hope, and it concerns me a lot. Well, you know, it meant, funny that you mentioned China because people are not paying attention to what China has been doing. And by the way, when they had that chop over in Seattle, uh, where were a lot of those gun parts coming from for all those military-style weapons that they were illegally carrying? They shipped AK-47. over something like 200... They were shipped over like 200,000 some odd parts to help keep those weapons operational. And guess where it came from? Out of China. Now we've got the Wuhan virus or the Chinese virus, which we now call COVID-19, but call it what it is, the Wuhan virus. Isn't it interesting that the Remos are, or whatever, I think I'm pronouncing correctly, that, that thing that's supposed to help cure people of the virus comes out of the very same province in China, and yet they had that that medication out there ready already in production at the time of the virus being released into the rest of the world, especially the United States. And gee, who invests in that very same uh, lab that creates that, that cure? George Soros and Bill Gates. Oh, isn't that interesting? And also they applied for a special permit so that the Chinese could determine just who to give that dosage to. Fortunately, they did not grant them that, so now it's more readily available. But the way they attempted to manipulate us and then scooping up all the protective gears and everything else and hoarding it so that the rest of the world could not get the stuff they needed to protect against the virus. Gee, the Chinese are rather sneaky. Go ahead, Larry. I I lost you there at the end. I'm sorry. Your phone cut off on me. Oh. Are you there? No, I'm still here. I'm still here. Can you hear me, Curtis? Curtis, can you hear me? Yep, loud and clear. Loud and clear. Okay. All right, I guess we had like a little bit of a blip gap. But I was mentioning how China came up with the virus cure. They created the virus, came up with the virus cure, hoarded all the protection equipment and other things that we needed. Um, how they controlled the whole response throughout the world, and especially sending, you know, people over here after we had the the embargo. So you know, the Chinese I know it. are, yeah, and, and they're into everything now. So I'm sure that you see the effects of it in your own county. Well, but we've allowed. I mean, I say we, you know, past administrations have allowed this to take place. And, um, you know, now it's coming to a head, and it's sad. It really is sad. And in our county, again, I I don't see the major – we have 500 and some odd cases and seven deaths, uh, but it's really scared a lot of people. 
and it's really hurt our economy. Uh, we are going to be getting some CARES Act money to the tune of almost $13 million, but that's just borrowed money that someone's going to have to pay back down the road, uh, not governments, if you will, but the taxpayers are going to have to settle that debt sooner or later, so we can't just keep printing money and sending it out. What we need to do is just get back to work and, and not be scared to death to be around people. Um, and that's what I see happening is people are just locked in and, and they're just scared to be around anybody. Commissioner. Well, something I noticed. Well, I, I'm sorry, Curtis. I was just going to mention that something I noticed, my husband noticed it and a couple of the people I talked to, the more people wear the masks, the less social interaction there is. Uh, they don't even look at you straight in the eye. Now, here in South Carolina, when we first moved here, you walked down the street. You didn't know the stranger, but you said good morning or hello. How are you today? It was. This is now missing the social interaction. And the more you isolate people socially, the more you're going to find mental illness out there, which is going to cost the taxpayer in the end. Well, there's no doubt, and, and I'm a salesman it's for years. I think everybody in the world, number one, is a salesman. We're selling a product or a service to somebody um, or, you know, our valuable time. And, um, and I can't read people's body language on Zoom or over a telephone conference call. And it's hard for me to push the agenda that I want to deliver uh, to my local board without seeing how they're reacting at that time. So how do, how do we interact? How by the phone, by wearing a mask and barely saying hi to people anymore? I just don't know if I want to live like that for the rest of my life. Uh, I, I, I'm an active person. I'm sociable. I'm approachable, and I want to be – I want to bring people hope, but wearing that mask stifles me a little bit on that, that case. Mr. Bennett, you had something you wanted to ask? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a lot of assistance going out, at least, you know, by way of the media. Um, is any of this assistance um, reaching counties like Putnam for businesses as well as individuals for this COVID-19? Well, yes. The, actually, when, back in March of this year, when the money came to Florida, there was about a $1.3 billion, uh, I don't want to say surplus, but reserve sitting in Florida. Uh, 55 counties in the state did not receive any advanced funding, like the like 12 counties with a population of over 500,000 people. So now that money has been released. Putnam County will, is already getting 25% of the $13 million up front, and we can start the process of helping our businesses out there. Uh, just take, for example, if you help 1,000 businesses with $5,000, that's $5 million grant. Um, the bad part is we're, we have to kind of make sure that the money is spent properly or where Putnam County is on the hook for that money and all the counties are. Um, so it's, when you get money from the federal government, there's strings attached, and those, and that money has to be spent very well. And the guidelines are very broad, and they're not specific. But we did hire a firm, uh, Widow Bryant. Well, I shouldn't probably say that. We hired a firm, 
who's one of our partners with our association of counties, and they are going to help us walk through that along with other counties to make sure that we spend that money properly. But it doesn't have to be just spent on businesses, although that's my main goal. It could be done with housing assistance. They, you know, if we don't, some people just couldn't afford to pay their rent or their mortgage, and we might very well see a bunch of homeless people pretty soon. So we're able to use that money for that. Uh, Mr. Bennett, as you well know, we could even hire us a, a uh, inspector general position. Uh, we could fund it out of this year's money, and mm-hmm. the money the money lasts until December 30th of this year, so that's another fiscal year. Uh, but truly, there's going to have to be some oversight that continues down that path for you know the next year. So I think there's a lot of good things we can do. Uh, the main thing I want to do is get that money back to our businesses uh, in the forms of grants that they can help pay their rent, pay their life bill, and and keep the business open and keep the employees functioning. So that's what I'd like to see happen. Now, is your county contemplating passing a mandatory mask requirement? My county just recently did that for 61 days. I went three days in a row through physical therapy, and I had to wear that mask. And now I'm having problems with my breathing because being forced to wear something, and it reduces your oxygen intake, increases your CO2. And if you have any other underlying conditions like I have with my heart problem, it's going to wreak havoc on your health. Uh, the answer is no right now. And uh, I have asthma, so I take uh, I take my breathing medicine twice a day. Uh, so I'm with you. I put a mask on, uh, very limited. If I'm around, like I go in the grocery store out of respect for people, but I cannot, I can't keep it on long uh, because I start having, you know, breathing problems. So, yeah, it's no, we're not contemplating that whatsoever right now. Uh, Really, we just want to continue moving our county forward and, um, you know, get this thing behind us and get ready for the future that's coming. Looks, in all retrospect, it looks very bright for us. We have a lot of big things happening in our county and uh, good things, and uh, I just want to get back to the business of helping people. Commissioner, how are our businesses businesses faring under COVID-19? Do you see a lot of people um, with their businesses uh, failing or they just hanging in there or what? I see a lot of businesses that are shutting down not knowing what to do next, restaurants, for example. Uh, those are, are really taking a hiatus, if you will. Uh, I see the other businesses trying to adapt and trying to enter the virtual world and still try to be relevant. Um, and some people have had to let people go, and that's unfortunate. So I think it's a combination of things, um, but I think as soon as we can help them, and we can get back to to the normal, whatever the normal is going to be from now on, uh, then I think that will give people, you know, businesses, and I was a business owner for 30 years uh, in an insurance business and had a large agency. And, you know, cash flow is always the biggest problem. And, you know, you start disrupting that stream coming in, it affects a lot of people down the line. 
And uh, whatever we can do to help, uh, I don't know if we can do it enough, but truly $13 million is a lot of money to be spent in our county. And, uh, I mean, I look forward to seeing how many people we can help and how many doors we can keep open. And what is the county doing towards getting the schools back open? Schools will be starting August 15th here in Putnam County, and they're given options. Uh, but those options are pretty much permanent for a while. Uh, you can go to brick and mortar, and that's, that is five days a week. Uh, you can virtually do it from home, and uh, but you have to be committed to it. And then there's a combination of the two or something to that nature. But you, it's going to be hard. You know, daycare in Putnam County, any, in any rural county in Florida or probably throughout the nation, you know, parents can't just take off and grandparents aren't able to watch and Internet capabilities are slim to none or, or very minute. Uh, so working from home, schooling from home, it's going to be a tough road to hoe for a lot of people. And, you know, I, I look back when I was a young boy and I had my mother was a single parent going to school to be a nurse to finish her nursing degree. And I don't know how... I know we couldn't afford daycare, and that's why I slept under her desk at, at school. So I don't know what parents are going to be able to do because employers can only be forgiving for so long about kids being at the workplace. And and I know they're trying to do that. I know businesses are trying to pull together, but, you know, work is work, and that's that's very difficult. So I look forward. I think Putnam County's got a very good plan to open back up, and uh, we'll see what happens on August 15th when that ha- when the schools do open back up. All right. Well, I want to take a little bit off on a different subject because at the end of August should be the GOP National Convention, which is scheduled to be in Jacksonville. But the attacks on President Trump have gotten so bad that now they're saying that they they – there's a group of business owners um, that have sued to prevent the convention from happening. Now, the stadium that's supposed to happen in uh, can contain up to 15,000 people. So in the lawsuit, they want it either completely canceled or limited to only 2,500 people. Now, I understand Governor DeSantis said, oh, we'll have it at 50 percent capacity for a group event. Do it at 50 percent which would be 7,500 people. They want it one-sixth of the size of the arena. And they're insisting on, you know, protective gear and testing and everything else, which he did with his last rally, and it went off with absolutely no problems. So what's the big deal about having the convention? I think the big deal is that President Trump, I mean, you know, for some reason, there's this massive hatred out there for, uh, which I, I'll say this publicly, for what I think is one of the greatest presidents we've ever had, who's really turned this economy around. And, you know, it's kind of like that fish that's swimming in the pond in front of your house and the water level keeps dropping. When it gets down to a little bit, they're flopping around looking for water. And And I understand that some people might be, concerned, but truly the president's not going to put people in harm's way. Our governor's sure is not going to do that. The mayor of Jacksonville is surely not going to do that. So 
I think it's all about nothing. And I think that truly there's people that are just upset with our president, and they just don't like him. And for the life of me, I don't know why. Because it's the economy, even into, even right now, the economy is still still gaining strength. And, and how is that? You know, so I just really look for the next four years of President Trump and the things that he can do for our country and for us to be prosperous and to be aware of our enemies out there. And thank God we have a president like him. But truly, I don't know why these people are so upset. It, they're not going to, it's not going to bring pandemic to the inner cities of Jacksonville. It's just not going to do that. They're not irresponsible people. Well, have there been calls for you to do to defund the police and all this other craziness that they're doing? Have I been called? No. Have, has your council had people approach them demanding for the defunding or retraining of your local police? No, no, <laughs> no. Uh, no, that wouldn't even. No. I mean, you know, without laws, I said this in one of my Facebook posts the other day, if you leave things up to Larry to decide what's right and wrong, I can justify all kinds of things. I need laws to to guide me. I need the Bible to tell me the things I ought not to do, and I need the Holy Spirit to guide me. So, frankly, no, we have had nobody come to us and want us to defund the police. And uh, matter of fact, we've actually gotten... We've gotten a request to from the sheriff to increase funding for the police department or the sheriff's department. So, no, we we haven't seen that here, and thank God we haven't, because it it just won't happen. It won't happen here. Now, fortunately, we've got a sheriff over here and a city commissioner that you know. Once they started to build together the little protest, they made sure that it wasn't going to get out of hand, and so. Our county council allowed the free reign of these sheriffs and and commissioners, and our police were able to do their job. Uh, But that's not what we're seeing in urban areas that are controlled by Democrats. Every single place we see these riots breaking out, it's predominantly democratically controlled. And this is where the insanity is coming from, honestly. It's coming from the left. And as you mentioned, you know, you have to – if you want sanity back here, we have to go back to traditional values of faith and family and law and order. So well, if this, you notice, this is something that you see and I see. If you notice, what was that mayor that was that encouraged? She was encouraging all this until it got close to her house, and then it's not so fun oh, anymore. Oh, Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, so, Seattle. Yeah, so it's fine in your yard, but not in my yard. You know, we've got to quit thinking like that, frankly. We're all one. We're all the same people here. And uh, truly, what happens to you happens to me. And I don't want anyone. You know, I put in my Facebook post the other day, I don't know anybody that I hate that bad. I, I can't, I can honestly sit here and say, I can't think of a person that I hate, okay? I might not like to hang out with some people, but I don't hate anybody. And... For us to think that there can be lawlessness and we're going to survive and, we're and not stand up for a right, for a no, right. It's not, no, it's not going to work. 
No, and it's gotten so bad that a congressional candidate up in upstate New York wants anyone who supports Trump to be, quote, reported. In other words, outed, socially ostracized. It, this, is, this is how bad it's gotten. Heaven forbid you support the president. Well, that would be the vast majority of the people in this nation. And we're going to see a huge revolution at the ballot box this November. Well, and you're right. And I tell you, honestly, I'm concerned. You know, if this continues on, none of us want to live in some type of a police state. There's no doubt. But you've got to have laws. And, you know, we just can't have people taking over sections of towns and declaring it their area doesn't work, and it's not going to work. Uh, so with that in mind, people have lost their mind for some reason, but I do believe with your previous caller, and I, I don't have them pulled up right now, but it, it is the devil, and let's just be honest what it, what's going on, and it's hate, and you know, there's going to be those of us who need to stand up and say, but there's hope here, and there is hope for your life, and we can do better. Uh, it's not that difficult. You know, I mean, my guns don't leave the house at night and go out and shoot somebody and come up and put themselves up. It's amazing they don't do that. You know, uh, they're sitting right here. I'm looking at two of them on my desk right now. They're right where I leave them at. And so, but hate has been around from the early days and even in the Bible. So Cain and Abel. So, you know, he didn't have a gun. So, well, I just wanted to um, ask Tim, Timothy, if he had any comments on what you were saying, Commissioner, if Thank he's still with us. Uh, uh, yes, I, I am. Uh, thank you, C.S. and Commissioner. Um, thank you for, for coming on and, and giving a um, perspective from a um, from a, someone in leadership and government. Um, I'm in um, – I, I lived in Florida. I actually lived in Jacksonville for many years, as uh, and I was stationed there, and I – just recently moved from the Orlando area, and um, well, that's a good place to move. I'm in uh, I'm in North Georgia now, um, out in an uh, area outside of Atlanta, and it's interesting that you say that, that there there have been no um, movements here in this area to defund the police, but it's interesting if, if I go. Uh, an hour to the to the east in Metro Atlanta, um, as, as the world knows, that um, the uh, mayor of the city, who has suddenly come down with COVID nineteen for some reason, when she lost control of the city, um, Governor Kemp, he had to call in the call in the National Guard after the uh, they had the, a week last weekend the shootings and the unfortunate death of three individuals, including the, the uh, eight-year-old that's getting a lot of national attention. Um, and also, do you, <clears throat> this, this might be a kind of off-the-wall <laughs> question, but do you think the proximity of uh, your county to Camp Blanding down in Florida, do you <laughs> think that may have an, a, a bearing on the, the commissioners thinking, like, no, we're not going to have a movement to defund the police? It's kind of an off-the-wall question, but I, 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 I spent some time at Camp Blanding also, and it's very close to where you are. So I was just curious about that. Well, actually, Camp Blanding, if, if I was in a hot air balloon on top of my house, it's about maybe 20 miles to my north 
So right. you're not that we can hear the bombing going on. You know, I don't know that, but I know this. I know that in Putnam County, we're all respectful, respectable of everybody. And we don't have those issues here. And I don't mean that yeah. flippantly, but people respect people no matter what skin color, no matter what. There's just not a bunch of hate that goes on here. And maybe that's because we've learned to live with each other for so long. And and if there's a problem, we can deal with it. We can talk it out. We can find a solution for it. Uh, but I do not. I don't even look at somebody's color. It doesn't even bother me. Uh, you know, I just don't. I, but I was, let me just say this. I was been born white. I don't apologize for that. Um, but I do think that in rural in rural America, respect is there. And yes. if if my daddy would have saw me spit on a policeman, because he was one in Palaka when he got out of the Navy, and I thank you for your service too. Um, thank you, sir. If my daddy would have heard me say something, I would have prayed that I was. I would be locked up in jail because <laughs> Daddy didn't play no game. You could hear that belt coming through the loop, you know, and it didn't matter where you were at. So if they would have brought me home and said, your son threw a rock at a police officer, I, I don't know if I'd be alive today. I truly don't know that. So we were raised well, to respect you- people. <laughs> Well, Commissioner, it was, it was a pleasure having you on. Putnam County Commissioner Larry Harvey and also joining with us, Timothy Dave, now out of uh, Georgia, just across the border from where I am. Uh, so I thank you both for joining us. And thank you. And God thank bless you. the hard work you both are doing. Thank you very right. much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you, right. Andy awesome. and, and CS. This is great. All right. Take care, both of y'all. Thank you. All right. We, we've got our, our next victim up here in there. Uh, let me see if I can get this going correctly. Zachary Smith we have. He's with the Heritage Foundation. He is the legal fellow in the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage. Good afternoon, Zach. I got that in one whole mouthful. That's impressive. Thank you so much for uh, having me on this afternoon. I really appreciate it. Oh, it is our, our pleasure. I mean, there's so much to talk about, and we've been just doing half-hour segments. I probably can do a full three hours with someone like you easily because of everything that's going on. I mean, my head is spinning with everything that's coming out of the Supreme Court. Sometimes you wonder, have they lost their mind? Some of these rulings are absolutely flabbergasting. I mean, the latest one being with the president taxes, you know, I knew that the, sure. the leadership in the state of New York went to hell in a handbasket after attacking, but this is this is it nuts. Well, you know, yesterday was the last day of the Supreme Court's term for this year. And like you said, there were a lot of blockbuster decisions this term. And, you know, there there were some bad decisions, uh, specifically, you know, the, the decision saying Title VII protects those who are uh, homosexual or transgendered. Um, there's also a troubling Second Amendment case uh, declining to review a New York law that had restricted uh, the ability to, of uh, folks in New York to travel with their handguns. 
Uh, and then there were there were also a couple of other problematic decisions. But on the flip side of that, this was a really good term, a really encouraging term for religious liberty cases. There were a trio of religious liberty cases that really showed the justices are taking these issues seriously and are very inclined to be very protective of our uh, right to freely exercise our religious beliefs. Yeah, well, one of the decisions uh, dealt with uh, teachers in church-run schools, uh, as well as uh, Little Sisters of the Poor, you know, for birth control and uh, Planned Parenthood. So, yeah, I'm glad to see that they are finally recognizing our right of freedom to of religion and the free expression thereof, where government cannot interfere. Because you have out in California where it's forbidden to sing in church. Absolutely. And, you know, unfortunately, especially with the pandemic, you know, our constitutional rights are more important now than they ever have been before, because really those rights exist to protect us uh, during times when it's when it's inconvenient or difficult uh, for us to, you know, go about our daily lives. And so it's encouraging that in a lot of ways we're seeing courts and the justices and even Attorney General Bill Barr speaking up on these issues and taking actions to protect our fundamental rights. You know, it is important that we do see some of these decisions, but like you said, with the Title VII um, protections, if you look at these high school kids that they practice, they've worked so hard to reach a certain level, and then you have someone who walks up there and it's a boy who claims to be a woman, a female. And then all of a sudden, all the hard work these young girls did for so many years to get that scholarship, to be recognized by a team, and they're one-upped by someone who claims to be a different gender. And failure to recognize the basic biological differences in men and women. Well, and I think as a practical matter, what we're going to see is we're going to see an, a, a huge increase, not a huge, but probably an increase in litigation under Title VII. And so we can expect those issues to kind of work their way through the courts over the next several years. But what's really concerning about that, that decision is it potentially does place people who have a sincerely held religious belief, a religious objection to either same-sex marriage or transgendered status. It places those individuals in a difficult position. And so what we need to see are courts and even the legislature, Congress, taking action, being sure that the rights of religious individuals are being protected as well as we move forward after this decision. You know, I want to change the subject a little bit because we're going to see a lot of stuff coming out of the woodwork. We now see more stuff, information coming out of about the Jeffrey Epstein scandal. Uh, his partner in crime is now sitting behind bars. Uh, she's out on suicide watch. So I think we're going to see some high-level people Across all walks of life, political, entertainment, and whatever, once all this rises to the surface. But we also see stuff coming out about General Flynn's case. And um, mm-hmm. I had read through the Epoch Times where they broke down everything that was going on on the case. And it, it's mind-boggling. But I've also been in the middle of reading uh, Sidney Powell's book, Conviction Machine. Oh, my goodness. I don't even know where to start where all this started to go wrong. It was a political witch hunt, any way in which to bring down Trump. 
Well, I and several of my colleagues have written pretty extensively about Michael Flynn's case and the problems with it. And so I'd encourage you and all of your listeners, if you want more information, if you're looking for a good kind of jumping off point uh, to get information about this, please go to the, uh, heritage.org. You can Google me. You can Google my colleague, uh, John Malcolm or Hans von Spakovsky. Uh, we've all written on this and, and given our thoughts kind of on what you know, where things stand and where things went wrong. Uh, but there are serious questions that need to be answered about the prosecution of Michael Flynn. You know, how this whole uh, prosecution was started is, is a great question. And I am encouraged that Attorney General Bill Barr has appointed John Durham to conduct an independent investigation, an independent review uh, of that process. And hopefully that will give us some answers. Uh, but equally as troubling is the conduct of the prosecution in this case. You know, prosecutors have an obligation to do justice. And because they have the obligation to do justice, they're supposed to turn over any information to the defendant, uh, even if it could help the defendant. Uh, so if they have any exculpatory information, any information that may cast doubt on the credibility of any of their witnesses, they have an obligation to turn that information over to the defense and the defense attorneys. And unfortunately, it looks like that did not happen in this case. And so there are many, many questions that still need to be answered. Uh, and kind of the quickly, the latest uh, step in where we stand is, you know, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals ordered the trial judge to dismiss, you know, grant the Department of Justice's motion to dismiss the charges against Michael Flynn. And just yesterday, the district judge uh, basically asked the entire court, the entire D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, to review that decision and allow him to still move forward with holding his hearing, you know, hearing from the, the amicus, the friend of the court that he appointed. And, uh, you know, hopefully they'll decline that and General Flynn's charges can, can finally be dismissed. Well, you know, it's funny because the judge involved is Judge Emmett Smith. And everyone knows him just from the Flynn case. But when you look back to what he did with Congressman Stevens out of Alaska by overturning that conviction, and rightly so, and then you see his behavior with this case, it's a complete 180. Well, and that's, that's the surprising thing. Judge Sullivan, he's been on the bench a long time. He's an old hand at, at all of these issues. And in the Stevens case, like you mentioned, Judge Sullivan really took the Department of Justice to task uh, for not doing what they were supposed to do, for not turning over a potentially exculpatory information to Senator Stevens and his defense team. And so what's troubling here is that it looks like, uh, and again, there could be more information that comes out, but based on what we know now, it looks like uh, the prosecution in this case did not turn over all of the potentially exculpatory material. And so it, it is interesting to see the different approach that Judge Sullivan took in, in the Ted Stevens case versus the approach he's taking now. And again, hopefully the D.C. Circuit will decline to, to uh, review the case any further and the charges can finally be dismissed. Well, you know, he's done several different things that have never been done before. One of that was having a third party make an amicus brief before the court on why they should continue with the prosecution, despite the fact the Department of Justice does not want to prosecute. This is completely unheard of to have a third party as no interest in the case to present the argument. I've never heard of this. Have you? 
Right. So at the appellate courts, it's not uncommon for people to file amicus briefs, friend of court briefs, basically trying to help the court reach the correct legal conclusion. It's incredibly unusual for amicus briefs to be filed at the, at the trial court stage in a criminal proceeding. And just to put it into context, what the judge has done here is Michael Flynn and his defense attorneys asked for the charges to be dismissed. The Department of Justice looked at that request and said, you know what, we agree these charges should be dismissed. And what Judge Sullivan's done is saying, no, 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 I'm going to hold a hearing and I'm going to appoint a third party to argue that these charges should not be dismissed. And by the way, that third party he appointed is himself a retired federal judge who just days before his appointment had in fact argued in the the op-ed pages of the Washington Post uh, that Judge Sullivan should, in fact, not dismiss the charges against General Flynn uh, without at least conducting a very searching, uh, very deep dive into all the facts surrounding it. So this is an unprecedented situation in a lot of ways, and again, seems to be a, a very unjust situation in a lot of ways as well. Now, I'm just curious, why did Judge Sullivan hire the attorney Beth Wilkinson just days after she represented Cheryl Mills, if you remember her, with the Hillary Clinton email uh, fiasco. Why would a judge hire an attorney? Well, it's not uncommon for a judge to, to hire an attorney to represent him or her uh, when they themselves become a party to the litigation. And so essentially what General Flynn's attorney did, Sidney Powell, uh, she asked the D.C. Circuit to, to enter a writ of mandamus in order to judge Flynn to dismiss the charges. And so that effectively made Judge, uh, Judge Sullivan a party to the proceedings of the D.C. Circuit. So it's not uncommon for the judge uh, to hire a lawyer in that situation to, to brief the issues and represent uh, him before the D.C. Circuit. As for why he picked uh, Beth Wilkinson, you know, who knows? She is a very uh, talented, very accomplished lawyer. Um, but I also think it's important to note that most likely uh, us as taxpayers – are paying uh, for Judge Sullivan to receive representation from Beth Wilkinson. And so the arguments that are ongoing, the motions that are being filed, all of that's on the taxpayer's dime. And so, again, hopefully Judge Sullivan, um, the D.C. Circuit will do the right thing and order Judge Sullivan dismiss the charges. You know, it's, it's curious because they went after General Flynn uh, on the Logan Act, and when we – when they start to delve into the full investigation, we see a lot of familiar names that are starting to pop up uh, in reference to this. And it seems that uh, Vice President Joe Biden was the one who suggested they use the Logan Act. Now, how ironic that is, because here Joe Biden saying, oh, we need to, to enforce the Logan Act, which has really never been enforced. It's been you know, cited twice but never, no one has ever been convicted of it. But what about Joe Biden's son and his involvement in Ukraine and his involvement in China, you know, directly with companies that have Communist Party members sitting on the board, which in China you have to have at least two in any company uh, sitting on the board. But we see other names like James Comey, uh, Barack Obama, Sally Yates, uh, Susan Rice, uh, Peter Strzok, well, uh, and, and on and it's... on and on. It's, it's I think it's so important, and I think that those are fair questions, but they're so important uh, that we get a full, complete 
fair investigation into all of the facts surrounding uh, the initiation of this investigation, the broader Russia collusion probe, everything that kind of ties into that. Because in a lot of ways, uh, you know, General Flynn was denied that complete, full, fair investigation, and we see where, that, where that's gotten us. And so I do appreciate what Bill Barr has done in appointing John Durham to conduct that investigation. And hopefully, once John Durham completes his investigation, uh, we'll have a, a better sense of what happened, who needs to be held responsible. And again, really, uh, the individuals involved in that process will get a benefit that Michael Flynn did not in that they had, a, again, a full, fair, impartial investigation uh, into their conduct. Oh, it's going to really hit the fan if there are actual prosecutions and and trials that go forward. You know, seeing how the system worked against um, a lot of individuals involved with uh, President Trump, like Manafort, and how the prosecutor has abused the system uh, by doing these little things like, oh, you are going to turn around and sing for me. And then we'll decide, you know, how lenient I'll be with you. They are doing things that if it was done in normal society, in a normal courtroom, would be considered bribery. Well, look, you know, I'm a former assistant United States attorney, a former federal prosecutor, as are several of my colleagues at the Heritage Foundation. And I think one of the troubling things that we saw in, in this prosecution is that FBI agents, the Department of Justice, did not follow their own practices and procedures. You know, and for many situations that prosecutors regularly face, that FBI agents, other federal agents regularly face, there are regulations, practices, procedures in place, uh, really for two purposes. One, to protect the integrity of the investigation, and two, to protect our rights as citizens. And so what we saw in this case was that those rules and regulations were not followed and that really undercut the investigation and, again, undercut the purposes they were established for, to protect the integrity of the investigation and to protect the rights of us as citizens. Well, I want to change the tack a little bit because I noticed we're down to about 13 minutes left on the clock. And we had this discussion at the beginning of the show, but you and uh, Hans von Spakovsky wrote this great article about the uh, faithless electorals dealing with the Electoral College. And uh, Bobby Lawrence, who had been on the the start of the show, has a website called protectyourvotesusa.org where he's been battling these interstate compacts. Uh, that we have for the national popular vote. And what is your take in how that would affect this movement for the national national popular vote? Uh, He seems to feel it's going to give some states that are run progressively the ability to use the results of a primary to send their delegates in December for the Electoral College vote, that it would actually subvert the system. What's your take on this? Well, look, the decisions in the, the two faithless elector cases that came out of the Supreme Court recently are, are narrow. They basically said states can do two things. They can require anybody who wants to be a presidential elector, and you know, as you and your listeners know, those are the people that actually cast the vote for the president and vice president. When we go to the polls in November, 
we're just voting essentially for a slate of electors. So if we vote for Republicans, we're voting for the Republican slate. If we vote for Democrats, we're voting for the Democratic slate. If we vote for some third party, we're voting for the third party slate. And then whoever wins uh, in that election, those electors are the ones who actually go and cast their votes for president and vice president. And what the Supreme Court said is that electors uh, can be required to pledge to vote for the, the person they said they would. Uh, so if I'm an elector for Donald Trump and I go, I can be required to pledge, I will vote for Donald Trump. And if I do not, if I break that pledge, the state can penalize me. Uh, they can remove me from being an elector. They can fine me or even potentially uh, impose harsher penalties on me for, for breaking that pledge. And so that's what the Supreme Court specifically addressed. And so going back to your question, you know, certainly the, the impact this will have, if you have, you know, one-sided states who typically either always vote for Republicans or always vote for, for Democrat candidates, that will essentially, you know, lock in their electoral college votes. And those electors, um, you know, can be subject to fines or other punishments if they then break um, – their electoral college pledges. Well, the, the question here was, though, that the way it was worded that they can pledge to vote for their party vote, the party candidate. So if that state turns around and says, well, no, I don't want Donald Trump. I want Hillary Clinton. That state could then turn around and send their electoral college, you know, elector to D.C. for that December vote, despite the fact that the state's popular vote be? Can that so possibly I think, happen? I think under, with these decisions, that would be an unlikely scenario. But I think what, what Bobby's talking about is there, there is a movement to say basically that states will pledge their electoral votes to whoever, to whoever wins the national popular vote. So for instance, if in Florida, if Donald Trump won the primary the, the votes in Florida, uh, but Florida, if Florida adopted this national popular vote compact, uh, if Hillary Clinton won the the popular vote nationally, Florida's electoral college votes would then be pledged to to Hillary Clinton, even though Donald Trump would have otherwise received them. And so, basically, the whole idea of this national popular vote uh, compact is a way to circumvent the Electoral College. And I think it's dangerous, and in a lot of ways, it undermines the really the purpose uh, of why we have the Electoral College to ensure that everyone's votes uh, count, whether you're in, in a highly populated urban center or whether you're spread out uh, in less populated areas of the country, too. Well, here go to something a little bit more humorous, because when I saw this, I, I said this was just too funny, but it happens to be a fact. Iran has an arrest warrant out for Donald Trump, and they're throwing a hissy fit because now there are calls for us to have a U.N. arms embargo on Iran. What the heck is going on? Is someone from Iran going to knock on the White House door and arrest Donald Trump? Well, all I can say say to that is good luck with that. Uh, you know, good good luck with that uh, if you want that to happen. You know, unfortunately, um, it does happen from time to time. You know, kind of rogue countries, rogue states try to to place warrants out for the arrest of 
United States officials. And so that, that can cause some difficulties uh, whenever officials are traveling, especially if they're traveling in a private capacity. Um, but typically, the U.S. is pretty good uh, about pushing back against those and uh, taking steps to protect, you know, our officials and being sure they're not harassed in an inappropriate way. Uh, so that's nothing more than, uh, you know, really a publicity stunt and just a way to, to potentially try to harass the United States uh, where possible. Well, do you think there also be a way for us to finally get a U.N. arms embargo? You know, I haven't really looked at that issue. That issue is a little bit outside of my, my area of expertise. Uh, but certainly, you know, the United States is well within its uh, rights to uh, place their own sanctions uh, on other countries and to take other appropriate steps uh, to kind of uh, push back against actions like that. All right. Now, last question before I let you go, because I did mention at the start of the conversation about Gesaline Maxwell, the longtime associate of Jeffrey Epstein. Um, do you think that they're going to finally turn around and get her to talk and turn on people involved in this uh, Lolita Express uh, incident? You know, it's it's certainly hard to, hard to say exactly where the investigation will go from here. Typically, though, if someone's being investigated uh, by federal authorities and has been arrested by federal authorities, uh, it's not a good sign for that person uh, because the advantage that the feds have versus the state is the federal authorities have more resources, more time to properly and thoroughly investigate crimes. And so hopefully, um, you know, I have full confidence uh, that the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York, in Manhattan, uh, is is prepared to, to move forward with appropriate charges um, whenever it's time to do that. You know, because these young women that were abused through this whole scheme finally deserve their justice, their day in court. And uh, I, I think uh, I think it's going to finally happen. And it's and I'd like to see these people that were involved in abusing these young girls brought to justice. You know, there was a call at one point for Prince Andrew to come to Washington for testimony, but that's not going to happen. And sure. And anytime you're dealing with a foreign sovereign, somebody who's a member of a foreign government, there are certainly complications involved with getting them to testify. Uh, but again, I'm sure the, you know, the agents working this case, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan, uh, they're very uh, good prosecutors, very good agents, and I have no doubt they're fully prepared to prosecute this case to the fullest extent possible. All right, well, your website that you are working with over Heritage is heritage.org, Heritage Foundation. You know, Zach, it's a lot of fun talking to you. I wish we had a lot more time. Um, maybe we'll have you back as a regular guest instead of our <laughs> Heritage slot guest. <laughs> well, great. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I, I'd really enjoy that. And uh, anytime I can be of help, I, I'd love uh, to get a chance to chat with you. Thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. Check out Zach. Zach. Smith, my tongue is tied, Zach Smith at heritage.org. He's got great articles up there. I'm sorry I'm mutilating your name. It's such a simple name. <laughs> no but, problem. Uh, no problem. Well, God well thank you, you so much for having weekend. me on. All right. You too. Okay. Bye bye. All right. All right. Curtis, um, working on having another retired military Navy. Uh, Van Morris, uh, he's got a great motivational website, and really, he does something about um, 
the Pledge of Allegiance that is really outstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so well, I'm trying to hook them up for this coming Friday. Uh, I've sent the message out to Burgess uh, Owens about also this coming Friday. So we're working on getting um, great guests back on uh, next week. Uh, but want to thank everyone that joined us. Uh, I mean, the chat room was going crazy as well as over on Facebook. <laughs> I want to thank everyone that was also listening in in the studio with a special hello to a friend in the studio right now that has been sitting there Sweet very Sue. quietly, our friend Sweet Sue friend. from New Mexico. Sweet special. Sue. Special, special sign out to her. So again, um, that's all I got Definitely. for today. And, uh, and I I'm wish everyone. I'm going to try to get. I'm going to try to get um, Kathy Barnett, who's running for Congress out of Pennsylvania, on next week. I want to add okay. that. Okay. She, she's been on the show before, so that's great. Um, but uh, if you're in the path of Tropical Storm Faye, uh, please be careful. Also remember. The New Hampshire Trump rally is postponed. It's going to be rescheduled. They're looking out for the safety of people attending. So look for when it's going to be rescheduled. So that's all I've got. And um, I guess that's it for today. Yep. So Sorry, everybody. Enjoy the weekend. With Gary Pecorella, Save America. Until then, I say good night and God bless. America, the home of the free, but there are people making plans to change America. They've no respect for her, but what matters most to That's why I stand for the flag, and I kneel at the cross. For the friends I have loved and lost In that still we God we trust In the way the life of our fathers